Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. makes the play to O'Reilly. Brings a two-on-one with Kairou. They shoot, they score! No! They went in, yes it did! Thomas had it, lost it. Hayton in, shoot, score! They send the puck to the far wing. O'Reilly gets the line onside. Crew trailing, shoots, score! They've got one now. Keller finds Kessel straight away. Shot, score, Coyotes lead, three to two. Three seconds to go. Krug off a deflection wide, and the Coyotes hand the Blues. Maybe their most disappointing loss of the season. This is bad. This is very, very bad. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is hump day. Great to have you with Michelle Smallman and Randy Character. Good morning, Michelle. How you doing? Randy, you just put me in a glass case of emotion there. We had Andrew playing the final call. Stephen A saying this is very, very bad, followed by the very fun and lively. It's hump day drop. So you really just took me in an emotional vortex there. I was wanting to get the roller coaster feel going. Well, you did it. Job well done because I went from bummed out and angry to, oh, yeah, it's hump day. It's hump day. So we only got a, well, at the beginning here, we have three days left in this week, and it is not going well. It is bad. It is very, very bad for our St. Louis Blues. When you lose to the Arizona Coyotes, I can take a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. One of the best teams in hockey, best team in the East. I can take a team to uh, a loss to the Edmonton Oilers, one of the best teams in the West, exceptionally talented team. Last night, Michelle, your St. Louis Blues were facing an Arizona Coyotes team that was 1-13-1 and coming into the game. 1-13-1, and and the Blues lost to them, even though they got all their cavalry back. That is the problem, is that you have your guys. This is unacceptable. So since you started with a Stephen A, I'm going to do my best Stephen A. That is unsatisfactory. It is deplorable. It was an inadequate performance by the St. Louis Blues. There is no excuse. It is unacceptable, disagreeable, and unfortunate to lose to a team like the Arizona Coyotes when you have your personnel back. How was that? Was that a good That was superb. Thank you. So just uh, give me one more Stephen A sentence. That was dreadful. This is bad. This is very, very bad. Yeah, this you got it. You've nailed it. It's just a lot of adjectives. You know? <laughs> just, you th- just throw in some adjectives. Hey, Stephen A's upset. We're upset. We're all but upset. But fortunately, Craig Berube's upset. Well, there was just not a lot of energy or life the first two periods, so that was a choice I made. I mean, third period, we had a ton more and controlled most of the period. But you can't, you know, go out and... Uh, just not play with any, you, you'll lose in this league to any team if you don't show up and with any desperation and urgency in the game. 
Clearly, you can lose to any team, including the 13-1 Arizona Coyotes if you don't show up. That's a fact. We learned that last night. Yeah, and congratulations to the Coyotes. They pick up their first road win of 21-22. I believe the ESPN.com headline this morning when I was reading it said, a rare road win by the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, so pretty bad. And the Blues will take on the Sharks tomorrow night. And you would hope that they would have more energy, more want to. Michelle, we said last week when the Blues were heading into the stretch against Carolina and and Edmonton, we said, hey, this can get away in a hurry because the Blues at that point were tied for the top spot in the Central. If the playoffs started today in the National Hockey League, your St. Louis Blues would not be in. Ooh. Uh, the Kings, with a record of 8-5-2, and two, uh, equal to the Blues record of 8-5-2, and two, those two would be tied and then you have regulation and overtime wins and you get into that and uh, actually they're tied there too so you'd have to go to head to head so maybe the blues would have a chance but they've lost to the kings too it's so early no need for the panic bus and the blues have they did come out to an unbelievable start to the season obviously hit some bumps in the road with injuries with covid and you knew that there were going to be some sort of issues or you didn't, I guess your expectations were shifted when the Blues were dealing with so many things. But a game last night when you've gotten your guys back and you're playing a clearly inferior team, there's no excuse for you to not have the energy or the sense of urgency in a game like that. Inexcusable. And you mentioned that it's early, Michelle, and you mentioned yesterday that when you went to the doctor, you didn't know what the date was. That's true. I get. I totally get. By... The day after Thanksgiving, the Blues will have played 25% of their schedule. I know that at this time of year, we we do this every year where we're like, gosh, I can't believe it's Thanksgiving. But I don't know if it's because things have gotten back to normal for the first time in a year and a half where people's schedules are packed. But I cannot believe that we have arrived at this point in the calendar. It's unbelievable. It's wild. It's flown by. So the Blues have San Jose Thursday at Dallas Saturday. Come home against Vegas on Monday night. Petro will be in town. Then they go to... Detroit the night before Thanksgiving and Chicago after Thanksgiving and after that game, well, then you play Columbus at home on Saturday night, the 27th. You'll have played uh, 21 games of your 82. What do you say? It gets late early? It does get late early. Now, I have one more thing for you. Mm -hmm. Craig Berube saying that his team did not have a lot of fight in them. I appreciate his honesty and his candor, but isn't your team a direct reflection of the of the coach? So if you're Craig Berube and you see that your team comes out against the Arizona Coyotes and they're that flat and you don't feel like they have the energy that they need, I feel like that's part of your job as a coach to inspire them or to fire them up. Give right. them a little kick in the rear end. Yeah, especially when you're playing a 113-1 and one and you're in the midst of a three, now four, game losing streak. By the way, the Blues did trade Kyle Clifford to the Toronto Maple Leafs yesterday, and we all have, I'm sure, different favorite memories of the Kyle Clifford era <laughs> here in St. Louis. Randy, I I don't know if we have enough time today, but can you give me at least some of yours? Because I know the um, list is long, so he, if you could condense it, yeah. that would be favorable. Thanks. Uh, my favorite memory was when he skated out for the first time wearing that number 13, giving me memories of Kurt Warner, giving me memories of Matt Carpenter. I thought, man, this guy's going to be great. And then he took a shift. Maybe not. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. That's your favorite Maybe. Kyle Clifford <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so he's gone. He's with Toronto's minor league team now. 
The National League Manager of the Year Award was handed out last night, and sadly, Mike Schilton did not win it. Gabe Kapler, Giants, 107 victories. He he was the winner, and the award was presented by former Giants manager, manager and the guy that Kapler replaced, Bruce Bochy. No surprise there. Gabe Kapler did an unbelievable job this season. I would have been floored if he didn't win the award. He's so deserving of it. But it would have been fun from a drama perspective if Mike Schultz, who also did a great job, were to win. Mm-hmm. Would the Blues have congratulated Mike? Or the Blues? Uh, the Blues, the Blues have, probably would have. Yeah, would the Cardinals have congratulated Mike Schultz? Yeah, on being I, I think so. The Cardinals are a classy organization. Even though they fired him, I would imagine that if he won the award, they would fire off a tweet. And he was interviewed on MLB Network, and you wouldn't know that he wasn't the Cardinal manager anymore. It was unbelievable how effusive he was in his praise of the Cardinals and their players. He's a class act, too. And his, he really is. In his uh, I Got Fired press conference that he called, he could have easily gone low, but he went high. And that didn't surprise me either because he's a guy who's looking for a job, you know, and he cares about his players. He was a good manager and a good person. He's not going to, even if he has differences with people inside the organization, he's still somebody that took a great deal of pride and care in the players that he managed. So I have no, I would be completely surprised if he were to pivot and not be the guy that we knew him to be. Tampa Bay's Kevin Cash wins American League Manager of the Year. Back-to-back years for Manager of the Year. That doesn't happen very often, but when you get rid of well, you lose Tyler Glass now. You, you traded Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. You lost Charlie Morton. So you basically lose your starting rotation and then turn around and come back and win the division again. Pretty impressive. And you have a guy named Brandy Rosarena who you've, you've fostered and grown into the rookie of the year. Yeah, the American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah. We didn't talk about that yesterday. He's pretty good. Pretty good, pretty yeah. Good guy to have. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, you like that. Uh, the baseball continues. Trevor Story, Rockies shortstop, will forego the guaranteed one-year $18.4 million. He was offered with the qualifying offer from the Rockies. He'll test the open market as a free agent. The friend of Nolan Arenado will will test the, the market. I don't think that he winds up as a member of the Cardinals, Michelle. I'm not giving up hope just yet. I would love to see Trevor Story come to St. Louis. And I know that Nolan Arenado has a lot of sway in this organization. You know, they like him. Mm-hmm. They want to keep him happy. They want to win with Nolan Arenado. That is, that's his boy. Oh. I mean, look, remember, let's harken back to the All-Star game. Nolan Arenado's there cheering him on. They're out at dinner. Yeah. What do you think they were talking about at dinner? I bet it wasn't, what's your diet been like lately? Here's what they How's were talking the family? about. Nolan is saying, hey, we get the, got this DeYoung guy. And I know people are down on him, but... We, we aren't giving up on DeYoung. We really like him a lot, and we want to keep him around. He's got an unfair Pe- shake. People are be- being really unfair because he's only had two bad years in a row. I'm sure that that was brought up, and then I think he was like, JK, what are we going to do to get you to St. Louis? I sent videos to Wayno. Maybe you should send videos to Yachty. Good, good play. I like it. So Trevor's story will be out there and available, but the, the Cardinals would have to give up a draft choice compensation and lose a draft pick and some money in the draft pick pool, which they aren't inclined to do. Speaking of, Michelle. This is bad. This is very, very bad. A rough go for our Billikens last night in Memphis. Yikes. 90 to 74. They were just overwhelmed. Yeah. Yikes. I also love in that clip how you can hear, is it Max going, Stephen A, Stephen A, because they know if they got to jump in then or they're not going to get a word in edgewise. This is old school with Skip. Oh, that's Skip. Wow. You really throw it back all the way back. Yeah. It's, uh, It's throwback Wednesday. Way, way, way back Wednesday? Oh, yeah, way back Wednesday. There you go. On Carriker and Smallman. So now we're off and running. Glad to have you with us. It is 7-11. And coming up next, we've got to ask Uncle Randy. That's right. It's Wednesday. And if you have any questions, any 
Hey, it's coming up on Thanksgiving. Maybe you have a question about bringing a significant other over to the house, a new significant other to meet the parents for Thanksgiving. Maybe you have a question about the Cardinals. Maybe you have a question about the NFL. Uncle Randy is here to help you. So text in your question. Michelle will pass it along to me. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And Uncle Randy wants to hear from you next on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Perhaps you have a question. Perhaps you have some problems in life. Well, that's what I am here to help with. I'm here to answer your questions and provide you answers that you just might not have because you don't have the same sort of experience that I do because I... I've been around, you know? You know? So uh, whatever texts you have, 65780, Uncle Randy is here for you. Michelle, what do you got? Randy, you've been a sports fan in St. Louis for a long time. So you are more than qualified to answer this question from the 618. Mm -hmm. Dear Uncle Randy, how embarrassed should I be as a Blues fan after that loss last night? More embarrassed than I was as a Mizzou fan after their loss to UMKC? Or more than a Texas fan after their loss to KU? Okay. Texas wins... Because they're supposed to be back. They have a new coach. They're supposed to be back. Texas wins and they lost to KU. If you didn't hear the stat earlier in the week, since the Jayhawks had last won a Big 12 road game, October 4th of 2008, they've won 12 Big 12 games. With the win over Texas, 12 Big 12 games. In that same time period within the conference, the University of Missouri has won 19 Big 12 games. The difference is, is that this is Missouri's 10th year away from the conference. It's bad. It is. So, yes, especially if you know one of the three or four Coyotes fans, that's really embarrassing for you (laughs) if uh, with with that Blues loss. The thing is, and and yes, the Mizzou loss to to Casey was really bad, too. But But it's early. It's early. and, And you really fly under the radar. So, I would say that you aren't as embarrassed losing to Arizona as Texas would be to KU. And I do think that the Mizzou loss to KC, well, embarrassing, is more of one that can be swept under the rug early in the season because they aren't expected to be great. Blue's expected to be great. Texas expected to be great. Tough losses. So, yeah, if, if you have to run into a Coyotes fan today, duck your head. Good news is you probably won't. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Unless you're, well, even if you're down in Phoenix, you aren't going to. Yeah, probably not. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, I'm hosting Thanksgiving for the first time and I've never cooked a turkey. I'm a male and I've never cooked a turkey. Any simplistic instructions for a great bird, TIA, thanks in advance. You got it. Okay, so I have done the turkey since I was, what, 24 years old, I think. And... There are a couple of very important things you have to do. Number one, if you have the Insta, go to the Schnooks page because they've got a thawing chart 
because you don't want to have a frozen turkey that you buy on Wednesday and you have to make on Thursday, okay? So you want to keep that baby, pick it up on the weekend, keep it in the fridge, and you can also soak it in water in your sink overnight to thaw it out. Okay, Uh, do a Google search for brining your turkey if you really want it to be moist. And all you have to do is basically dip it in salt water overnight. And it doesn't have to be in a five-gallon bucket. It can be in a big, uh, big pan. But make sure that you Google this. Another key, Thanksgiving morning, make sure that you take out the giblets and the neck from inside the turkey, and then you have to clean out the cavity inside the turkey. Every turkey comes with this stuff. It's just a a little bag of stuff that comes inside, but you have to take that out. You don't want to roast your turkey with that stuff inside of it. And then clean out that cavity with uh, cold water and uh, make sure that that's completely cleaned out. Maybe throw some salt in there. You can go with putting the stuffing inside the turkey or not. Your stuffing is going to take, your uh, preparation is going to take a little bit longer if you do have the stuffing in there. And then the big key is you have to be patient, okay? This is going to, this is a four, four and a half, five hour process. If you have a big turkey, an 18 pound turkey, I like to baste it every hour when I'm doing it in the oven. When I'm doing it on the Traeger, you don't need to, but make sure that you do everything you can to make it a really moist turkey. One other suggestion that I have for you if you're doing it for the first time and as you go along you can play around but don't overspice it okay don't make it so that the turkey is spicy hot use some oregano use just a little salt and pepper but don't make it spicy hot and then if you want to do exotic things as your turkey roasting experience evolves over the years go ahead and do that but the first time you're doing it just try to make it as simple as possible I'm so glad I'm not on bird duty it's a lot of work. It's really not that bad once you get it in the oven. But you just have to get up early. And I'm sure once you've done it once, you know, every every year it gets a little easier and easier. Then it becomes a routine. Right. But if you're doing it for the first time, uh, there are tons of YouTube recipes and preparation tips for you. But the big things for me are make sure it's thawed. Make sure that you take all the stuff out from the inside. Make sure it's very clean. And just don't overspice. And when you're following Schnucks on Instagram, follow Uncle Randy at RJ Carricker too. Oh, and Michelle Smallman at M. Smallman. If you want some great turkey roasting tips, okay, don't go to Michelle. Yeah, no, I'm not going to have that for you. <laughs> I will not have any turkey roasting tips, but RJ Carricker will for sure. From the 573, this is a really tough one, Randy. Okay. Dear Uncle Randy and Aunt Michelle, I've got a dilemma. I've been hanging out this woman for a couple of months. We've become great friends. She wants it to be more, but there's one problem. I really like her sister. What do I do? Help me, please. You are. <laughs> I wish people could see Andrew yeah. Parsh's reaction. Oh, brother. Uh, oh, brother. He's like, you oh, have, sister, actually. Okay. <laughs> you have a choice to make because clearly she is beyond friend zone for you. Who? The, the original woman? The original. Okay. All right. You're serious. You don't know whether or not the sister has feelings like you have for her, but the likelihood is because of the way sisters are, you're never going to be with the sister. You might wind up on Jerry Springer and wind up with the sister, but the percentage of those things working out is low. But most sisters, they're in Michelle's an only child, but you have a lot of girlfriends that are sisters. True. There's a sister code where in general, one sister is not going to be with 
as a significant other another sister's uh, boyfriend. You, you can't dump one and get the other. Now, but they're happened- not dating yet. They're not dating yet. He says that they're great friends. She wants it to be more, but he's into the sister, if so they're she, not dating. But if she wants it to be more, it is more. According to her and her sister, if she talks to her sister like most sisters talk, it is more. Right. He might believe it's not, but for her it is. So you have no chance. So it's either stick with the original and then hope down the road. Oh, you can't stick with the original. No. If you're not into her, nope. you're gonna go nope. out with the. You're gonna go out on a family vacation, have yep. a few pops, confess Never. your love. Don't don't go down that path. Yeah. If if the sister code is in play here, now if this is a movie or if this is a Jerry Springer episode, then you have an opportunity with the sister. This is a tough situation for you, and my suggestion would be just let this play out and hope, just hope that at one point the original sister that you're hanging out with decides to not like you. Maybe you could do something that causes her to not, not like you. But not don't ask out her sister. I think this person needs to determine what he values more. The friendship with the with sister number one or the potential love interest of sister number two. Because if you don't really care about being friends with this girl, then tell the sister how you feel. That's how I just am in very much a, a YOLO state of mind lately. Like if this is how you really feel, what does it matter? If this if this girl's not going to be your BFF for life and you're just friends right now because it's at this stage of your life and your relationship, fine. Then go for the sister. But if this is someone that you really care for and you want to be friends forever, then don't do it. But I just think, are you going to look back in three years and still be holding on to feelings for the sister and wish that you would have just gone for it and said something and dealt with the blowback? It's done. Hey, this that relationship with this you can move forward with the original but buddy anything with the sister it ain't happening what if the sister likes him though that's what i'm saying total spin zone what if the sister feels the same way what if when she's getting texts from sister number one that's like oh isn't jerry the best she's like yeah he is is. (laughs) i think jerry is the best too but you'll you're always going to have an uncomfortable situation a hundred percent of the time for the rest of time if you get together with the sister, the the original, you're always it's always going to be an uncomfortable family situation. Okay, you two, try this on for size. Light bulb going off over my head. What if you hook up sister number one with one of your buddies? What if you're like, I oh. have the guy for okay. you. So it's not me, thing. Jerry. Mo- is my buddy moves Keith. And counter no, no, moves. That's no. what I'm saying. Like you were playing. Che- you're thinking checkers. We're going chess here. Yeah, that is chess because. This girl has feelings for you. She wants it to be serious. So you say, hey, I want you to go out with Bob. Wait, what? I, th- I thought we had a future here. That's what the, the original is going to say. She, You don't set up your girlfriend. She thinks she's your girlfriend. No, no, no. You can't tell her you're setting her up with Keith. You need to go out in a group setting. You need to tell Keith, hey, I have somebody for you. No. Have them just have a little moment. Tell, tell Keith but, to but really Michelle, go for it. She's serious about the guy. That's the problem that he has. I don't know. I, again, I'm in a YOLO state of mind. I just think that, Randy, we're all going to die. Like, nobody makes it out of here alive. So why not do what your what your true feelings are? In 20 years, are you even going to be talking so, to this friend? You could be married to the sister. You could have a beautiful family. You could be taking photos to send out your Christmas cards telling everyone about how you went to Aruba over spring you, break. Here's the problem. You aren't getting a Christmas card from the sister's sister, the, your, your your significant other's sister. You've ruined a family if you've done that. <laughs> yeah, we're not trying to tear families apart here. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, one more, Randy. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, 
I'm going to propose to my girlfriend. I need proposal ideas. What do you got? Okay, here's the thing. Does she have a microwave is the first question. Because if you want to propose, you can never go wrong if she doesn't have a microwave in presenting one because that's an automatic yes in every experience <laughs> that, that I've dealt with. It's an automatic yes. Now, to be a little bit more serious, I am of the opinion, and I, I want help from the crowd here that we have gone so far beyond with the spectacular that the simple is more romantic that you get the ring you get to a romantic spot that means a lot to both of you maybe you have the family visiting and observing if you know she's going to say yes and you just drop down on a knee and present the ring i don't think that we need to do the waiter brings the ring out in the glass of champagne I don't think that we need to do a spectacular fireworks display. I think if we get to a romantic spot that's meaningful for our relationship and you get down on the knee and keep it simple and say, will you marry me? I think that's the play in 2022. And if you can't have somebody take pictures of it. Yeah, right. That's what a lot of people do. And that's why if you have the family around. Yeah, that's that's cool. I think that that would be... If if I were in your shoes, that would be the direction that I would go now. Now, a lot of guys have done a lot of spectacular things, but that's just not where I would go now. Maybe if you, the further we get away from the pandemic, maybe you get a little bit more creative in the way you do it. But either way, if you're confident, she's going to say yes, and it's going to be memorable. Absolutely. Just do something that's meaningful for both of you. Yeah. doesn't have to be under a waterfall in Hawaii. No. It could be in your living room. Right. And that's that's the thing. It's hard to get to a waterfall in Hawaii true, now. True. And that's why I say simple is better right now. And if you get to a point, obviously, you're, think, you're thinking holidays, you're thinking Christmas, New Year's Eve, something like that. That's why I gave the answer I gave. But if we're talking a couple of years from now and we're further away from the pandemic, then think about the waterfall in Hawaii and stuff like that. Um, I just want to circle back to something really quickly. It takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to give out advice to the BLIS, Mm -hmm. which are the best listeners in sports. So we've been getting a lot of feedback on the sister, and I Uh wanted to share this one from the 618 before we go. Been there, done that with the sisters. It only ends in a blazing inferno, and no one survives. Run, dude. Run. I agree. Now, if you see a future with your current significant, well, for her, you're her significant other. (laughs) If there's... A chance at a future there, then take your shot with her, but not with the sister. You're right. It's it, yeah, blazing inferno where everybody dies is not a good thing. Run, dude. That's what he says. Run, dude. Really? And he's been there. He knows. See, I told you. Now, <laughs> see, this is why I say Jerry Springer show. Cool. You know, if, if you're looking for a Jerry Springer show, that is a Jerry Springer show. I mean, this is like the uh, getting hooking up with the sister at the wedding or something like that. After you, right before you marry the sister, the, right. the first sister A. But he doesn't want to marry sister A. He's into sister B. Sister, it's not his fault. It's not Jerry's fault that sister A holds these feelings for him. He just wants to be friends. Jerry, I feel for you, but you're in a, you're in an impossible situation. It reminds me of the movie A Guy Thing. Is that one of those? It. Have you seen that? No, I've never seen it. Uh, it's okay. with the guy from uh, My Name's Earl. He he ends up. Uh, thinking that he slept with the cousin of his soon-to-be bride, and then he falls in love with the cousin. Yikes. I know. Oh, so they're engaged? Sticky situations. Yeah, see, they were engaged. Sticky indeed.
<laughs> Could get even worse. <laughs> yeah, here's here's the thing. If if you ask out the sister and you really haven't made a clean break with the other sister, even if you haven't made a clear clean break with the other sister, if you ask out the sister, this is bad. This is very Stephen very bad. It's bad. But do us a favor. If you do it, text us back because yeah. uh, <laughs> we want to know what happens. I give you the best advice I could. <laughs> Coming up next, we're talking a lot about St. Louis perhaps getting uh, an NFL team. Might the NFL be prepared to go even further in its expansion desires? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's another text that leads us into our next segment. Michelle. So a late Uncle Randy submission Mm -hmm. from the 618. Dear Uncle Randy, I have a girlfriend now, but I'm still attracted to my ex, and she wants me. But my ex treated me poorly, and my parents hate her. But I am much more attracted to my ex. What do I do? And I can't determine if this is about a female Randy or if this is about the NFL, because the NFL treated us poorly, but we're still kind of attracted to them. Kind of. Our, our new love interest is MLS. Yeah. So, okay. Well. So what do we do if we're still kind of attracted? What if they want us back? Maybe they want us back. Do they? That leads to an interesting piece that Mike Florio had yesterday at Pro Football Talk in which he writes, if when Saint, uh, the NFL offers St. Louis an expansion team in an effort to resolve the Rams relocation litigation, the league wouldn't move to an odd number of teams. The league would add a second team if it adds a first one which gives rise to the bigger question how many more teams could the nfl eventually add florio goes on to write it's not crazy to think that the talent pool from college football can support 34 36 38 or even 40 teams he said if the expansion process from 32 begins 40 becomes the natural ending point for the nfl and i was thinking michelle we we would be logical because we do have a great hold over the NFL right now. They would want to expand, and clearly they don't want to expand to just 33. And by the way, this is all hypothetical because to this point, there's been no indication, at least from publicly or to the St. Louis interests, that there is interest in sending a- an expansion team to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But where would the NFL go to add eight teams? What markets could possibly support eight new NFL teams. He suggests that St. Louis would be one and London would get two teams. Which I think is so risky. You don't even know if London's going to work. Look at LA. Exactly. You don't even know if London's going to work with one team, let alone two, because clearly LA is an American market, a huge, the number two American market, and they haven't been able to successfully support two teams. But I think the thing that you would do in London, the reason that you put two in there is because you could get so much European TV money. You could sell your two London teams on European TV, and that's what you want to do is globalize your sport. And the money that you're getting now from TV in Europe would pale in comparison to what you would get if you had two teams that were there. Because there is enough interest in London. I don't know if there's enough interest to have a game every Sunday or two games every Sunday. But there would be enough interest among the TV networks to get that sort of programming available. So now when the NFL goes to London, it's a novelty event. Mm-hmm. It's it's like having an exhibition come to town. And so people want to go to it because it's a rarity. But if it's your team and you have to fill that stadium, 
you know, tens, ten, more than 20 times a, a year, is that something that there's going to be an appetite for? Yes, you might get the TV money, but what if it's showing a game with an empty stadium? What's the appetite of NFL players to want to go play in London? This is the ego of the NFL, though. But there are other U.S. markets, Michelle. You've got Oakland, which is part of the number six market. Right now, the 49ers play 45 minutes from San Francisco. Oakland is 15 minutes from San Francisco. If the NFL is going to get into the stadium building business, if you're going to build in St. Louis, why not build in Oakland, California, where you have a rabid NFL fan base. You have the population base out by Santa Clara is different than the one that you have actually in downtown San Francisco or in in Oakland. So you could definitely have, you would definitely have enough eyes and the quality of TV market to go back into Oakland. Two questions there. Number one, it must be a a fully funded stadium by the NFL because you're not going to get public money out of Oakland. We've already established Mm -hmm. that. And number two, Oakland was so synonymous with the Raiders. Is that a rabid NFL market or is that a rabid Raiders market? And would the Oakland fans be want, be willing to shed their Raiders fandom and accept a new team? I think you put an AFC team in to serve San Francisco slash Oakland. And then Santa Clara, the, the 49ers are still the San Francisco 49ers, but they don't really play there. So I really think you're serving two separate markets. And I do think that you could, you'd have to build it up, but it would be their own. And you'd have to have a situation similar to what we have here. Hey, this team's not going anywhere. You'd have to prove to them that their franchise, which has left twice, isn't going anywhere. We could have an ironclad 100-year agreement with the NFL, and I still wouldn't believe them when they said this team isn't going anywhere. Oh, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> All right, you've got the number 22 market, one market ahead of St. Louis. That's Portland. And people say, well, what about the Seattle market? It's a three-hour drive, Michelle, from Portland to Seattle. People aren't driving in the, from the number 22 market, I'm sure some people are, to go to Seahawks games. But that should not be given to Seattle. The Portland market shouldn't, a big market like that, they they could support an NFL team. And again, they probably aren't getting any public money for a stadium. Probably not. Excuse me, but I'm actually kind of surprised that Portland hasn't been a market that the NFL has explored more, or at least that we've heard about publicly, because with Oregon, Oregon State, there are strong football fans in Oregon. Nike is headquartered in the state of Oregon. It just seems like Portland is a vibrant city where uh, it's become a destination where a lot of people like to go. It seems like Portland would check a lot of boxes for the NFL. So I'm surprised that whenever we hear about expansion teams, that Portland isn't something that's at the for- at the forefront. Okay, let's touch on a couple other ones. San Diego seems logical. And again, they've had a bad experience with the NFL and they aren't getting state or local funding to build a stadium in San Diego. So if the NFL wants to go back there, they're going to have to build them a stadium. Same questions, though, remain about San Diego as they do about the Raiders. Was that a Chargers market? Are they going to really accept a team that's not the Chargers? Especially with all the things that you have to do in San Diego. And Southern California is kind of served. It's easier to get from San Diego to L.A. than it is to get from Portland to Seattle. Uh, What about uh, Albuquerque? Oh, no, San Antonio would be next. San Antonio, one of the top 10 uh, most populous cities, the city itself in America. It's a three-hour drive to Houston, a a four-and-a-half-hour drive to Dallas from San Antonio. Now, you've brought this up a lot. Would Jerry Jones allow that? Would Jerry Jones allow a new NFL team to go into the state of Texas? If you're Roger Goodell, you have to say, Jerry, you got us into this situation, (laughs) and you're going to have to deal with it. 
Also, I don't know why he's so threatened by San Antonio if it's four and a half hours from Dallas. The Cowboy brand is so deep and people are so loyal to the Cowboy brand. You're not going to have any Cowboys fans defecting to cheer for the San Antonio Lightning or whatever they're going to be called. People that are Cowboys fans will remain Cowboys fans. And people who are even fringe NFL fans would probably still be more interested in the Cowboys than they would a new expansion team in San Antonio. Okay, Michelle, here's my surprise entry for expansion for the NFL. Albuquerque. Albuquerque Santa Fe is the number 46 market. They're five spots below Jacksonville, but Albuquerque is bigger than New Orleans, bigger than Buffalo, bigger than Green Bay. That's surprising. 630,000 homes in Albuquerque. I have a lot of friends who have been to Albuquerque Santa Fe and they absolutely love it. They say it's a, a great place to go. Um, but what's the appetite for football there? Yes, it might be bigger than New Orleans, but New Orleans is a party destination. You have people coming in from all over the place to visit New Orleans, and it's in the state of Louisiana, which is a football hotbed. So even though the market size might be smaller, the appetite is there. People are willing to spend money on the NFL. I don't know about the sports preferences of people in the Albuquerque Santa Fe market, but I do know that if it's the biggest sport in the country and it's the only thing you really have, mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes what you do. Part of your identity. Part of your identity, right. exactly. And then we mentioned two in London. Toronto would be a natural. What about Mexico City? Do you want to, if you're the NFL, and again, go back to the NFL ego, is the NFL able to change the cultural preferences in Mexico City, which are clearly leaning towards soccer and try to get them interested in at least 60,000 people interested in watching an NFL game every weekend and watching on TV. I think I might be more inclined to go Canada than I would be to go Mexico. I also think if if you're the NFL and you're going to go London and you're trying to globalize it a little, uh, going London and Mexico City at the same time is a pretty big risk if you don't know how both of those things are going to shake out. Interesting thought process by Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk about perhaps getting up to 40 teams in the NFL at $3 billion per franchise. Ours would be at a discount, but that would be $21 billion for the owners. Here is something that I'm interested to see if, if this were to shake out. The NFL has become such a football product. Less and less people are wanting to go to games anymore because it is just so so enjoyable to watch an NFL game. It's so easily consumable from your couch, mm-hmm. especially now with Red Zone. It's a TV product. And so the NFL is wanting to spend billions of dollars to build these big grand stadiums when the appetite to go to the game is becoming less and less and less so i and this was mentioned in the piece i'm wondering if they do expand to some of these markets if they're more inclined to build smaller stadiums that cost less money there's less overhead there and they just really capitalize on the tv money many years ago al davis who had a lot of foresight, he was a visionary, wanted to build a 50,000-seat stadium in Oakland because of exactly what you're saying. He said, we're a TV product now, and if we can get 50,000 people in there, that'll be a positive. The TV or the the gate revenue is so minuscule in relation to the TV revenue now in the NFL. Whether you draw 50,000 or 66,000 really doesn't matter. But those two things are in lockstep when you're when you're expanding into a new market. If you go to the game and you have an exciting game day experience, it hooks you. It gets your it, those roots in your loyalty gene, and then you want to, you know, have your Sundays, whether it's going to the game or going somewhere to watch the game, or even just 
arranging your TV consumption habits around it. That only comes a lot of times when you've gone to a game and you've experienced it yourself. And if you're the NFL and you're having to build some of these stadiums, the $2 billion, 70,000-seat stadium might cost $1.3, $1.4 billion for a 50,000-seat stadium. A way to save a few bucks, too. Or it could end up costing you, what, $5 billion? That could be, too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. All right, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 657 Eight oh, Michelle, we're hearing a lot of great accolades for Bill Belichick because he has put together a 6-4 and four record with the New England Patriots this year. Yes. Uh, they've added a lot of players in free agency, spent more in free agency than any other team, and then they acquired Mac Jones. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're 6-4 and four right now. This has Ryan Clark of ESPN really fired up. All of these pieces added together now say with competent quarterback play, which you might be getting above competent quarterback play from Mac Jones, especially going forward. This is a team that has an opportunity to win a championship, and that's not what we thought of the New England Patriots at the beginning of the season. Michelle, can we please take a look at the schedule and note that in winning <laughs> five out of six, the Patriots have beaten the Houston Texans. Not great. Lost to the Cowboys. They've beaten the Jets. Not great. Beating the Chargers, okay. Beating the Panthers, not great. Beat the Browns, not great. Bill Belichick with Tom Brady as his starting quarterback has an overall record of 219 wins and 64 losses. Bill Belichick without Tom Brady as his quarterback as an NFL coach has a current record of 67 wins and 76 losses. Take it or leave it. Bill Belichick is the most overrated coach in the NFL, not Sean McVay. I'm going to leave that, and thank you for those numbers. He's a, he's a product of Tom Brady. You're, you're telling me that you're a Super Bowl contender because you beat the Texans and the Jets and the Chargers and the Panthers and the Browns? That's a Super Bowl contender? Seriously? It could be. <laughs> However, I do not think that Tom, uh, that excuse me, well, Tom Brady certainly is not overrated. I do not think that Bill Belichick is overrated because it's hard to keep teams together. It's hard to keep a quarterback like Tom Brady buying into your system, and he he made the decision to go with Brady over Bledsoe, Randy. Isn't that enough to make him a good coach? And it's not just Tom Brady that won Super Bowls. Yes, he was a major ingredient to the recipe to win the Super Bowls, but Bill Belichick went out and would acquire players and get them to buy into the Patriot way. He obviously was able to turn Gronk into what Gronk ended up being. He was able to go out and get guys like Danny Amendola and Wes Welker to be superstars. And yes, Brady had a lot to do with that too, but Bill Belichick is the one acquiring those guys and dialing up the scheme. And Randy, I'm going to go ahead and throw this one on the pile too. Bill Belichick is certainly not overrated because how many of his assistant coaches have gone on to be head coaches and they can't do what he does? They try to mimic him and they can't do it because he's so singular in what he's able to do as an NFL head coach. So, no, he is not overrated, but I understand why you want to say he is. Okay, let me just give you one more here, okay? Okay. One second. 
because I've got some math to do, and you know how I am with math, okay? Yes. So you need me to vamp while you go ahead and do that? Uh, I can handle this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bill Belichick's winning percentage without Tom Brady, 468. Okay. Jeff Fisher's winning percentage oh, without Tom Brady, 512. Still, I don't think that that's a fair comp because one of those two has had uh, several stops and zero rings, while the other one is widely considered to be the best NFL coach in history. He's a product of Brady. They worked together, Randy, in unison. But then Tom Brady went somewhere else and won a Super Bowl. That is true. That did, (laughs) in fact, happen. But I don't think that just because Tom Brady left and won a Super Bowl that all of a sudden we're throwing dirt on on the career of Bill Belichick and calling him overrated. 67 and 76 without Brady. That's all I'm saying. Listen, if, if the debate is, is it, Bra- is it more Brady or is it more Belichick and you want to say it's more Brady, I'm buying into that for sure. Clearly, he's proven that. <laughs> You're so pleased with yourself. I am. You are so pleased with Overrated. yourself. Overrated. I won't clap to that one. I can't. I, I'm not going to go there, okay? I'm not going to go there. Uh, By the way, uh, credit to him for basically ending Sean McVay's successful coaching career, too. See, how are you going to call him overrated when he helped he put the help. nail in the coffin of... The team the that you hate genius. the most. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of the team that you hate the most, the Rams, we were just talking um, last segment about expansion teams in the NFL, a, a team coming to St. Louis. And, Randy, I know that you are not a fan of the NFL. If somehow the, a team was to come back to St. Louis, I know it would take a while for you to fully buy in, correct? Literally, I would not buy in again. Okay. I would not buy PSLs or tickets. Take it or leave it. You would be more inclined to buy in if somehow the expansion team was the Battle Hawks. If somehow they were able to get the rights from the XFL and we were getting the, the same colors and the cacao. Can I get C- Kurt Hunsicker back? Yes, you can. You can get I, Kurt yeah, Hunsicker I'll back. I'll totally take that. The people that ran the Battle Hawks are just going to yeah. bring the band back together. Jordan Tiamu is my quarterback. He can be Free here. Agent. Taylor Heineke, maybe we get him back. Who knows? But I think that St. Louis... Love the Battle Hawks so much in their short stint that even people who were on the fence might be like, well, I really want to yell caca again. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. Yep. Andrew Marsh is here. What do you got from the text line? Well, we've been talking about football. Let's transition to a little baseball. And we talked about Gabe Kapler and how he handled the San Francisco Giants this season. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals should platoon at the catcher spot next season. Take it. And I thought they did, by the way, Schilt and the front office, whoever they did, getting Andrew Kisner as many starts as they okay. got. And I believe he got more than 40 starts. I thought that was a really good way of handling the situation. I, I agree. I'll take that. Uh, I'll take it. And I agree that I think Mike Schilt did a good job last season in handling that. Now, not only handling it, but handling it in a way where Yachty wasn't upset. But I do think it's a different animal altogether if this is potentially his last season, which it seems like it is, because he is not going to want to miss one pitch if he is healthy. Somebody that lives, eats, breathes, sleeps baseball, knowing that the end of the road is here, he's not going to want to take time off, even though it is beneficial to the club for him to take time off so that they can use him more and he's fresh in the postseason. I understand all of that, but I think it's going to be more of a difficult task this season. And, of course, MLS is coming to St. Louis. So take it or leave it. Watching the USA versus Mexico game has you super excited for what the game day atmosphere will be at STL City Games and for us to host large international matches. 
I'm going to leave that because I was so excited for this before USA-Mexico. I don't need any other games to happen for me to get excited about this team. Yes, watching a game like that and seeing the the fans and what the game day experience is going to be like can only add to that. But Randy, as somebody that has got to get a little bit of a behind-the-scenes peek to what is happening with St. Louis City SC. I and know we can you, see it on your Instagram page. You can see it on my Instagram page. Be sure to download the St. Louis City SC app, by the way. Already because, done. Thank you. We have a new batch of 1v1 coaches interviews that have just been unveiled. They have a, a ton of great content there that can keep you updated, up to date on everything. But I have gotten to be behind the scenes a little bit and see how the game day experience is developing. I just got a tour of the stadium and all the progress they've made there. And when I tell you that this is going to be built by St. Louis for St. Louis, it is going to be perfect like there is no stone left unturned no detail that goes overlooked everything that they do is tailored for the soccer fan but more specifically the st louis soccer fan but usa 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 versus mexico yeah i'm fired up about that too usa america yep thanks andrew and thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up with Randy Rosarena winning Rookie of the Year. What sort of pressure is on Matthew Libertor for the Cardinals? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Eight oh seven. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, this past season, Randy Rosarena of the Tampa Bay Rays hit two seventy four with twenty home runs. He drove in sixty nine. He had a three fifty six on base, a four fifty nine slug, an eight fifteen OPS, and all of that added up to Randy A. winning American League Rookie of the Year honors. And the Cardinals obviously traded Randy Rosarena after the two thousand nineteen season. Can Matthew Libertor, in the near term, make you think that the Cardinals got a better, the, the better of the deal with Tampa? And by the way, we should point out that after a rough start, Libertor, with a 2.84 earned run average in August and a 2.83 in September, he pitched a little over 50, 54 innings in those last two months, and he was really dynamic. He struck out uh, more than a hitter an inning. He, he was really good, and the Cardinals expect him to be on their major league team at some point, if not at the beginning of 2022. I think the pressure is still on Matthew Libertor to produce right away, which is incredibly unfair for a young player because a lot of times it's you're not you're clearly not a finished product by the time you get to the majors. But I think the incredible amount of success that Randy Rosarena has had in Tampa, um, especially on the postseason stage, is still going to be such a heightened point of sensitivity for Cardinals fans until they see Matthew Libertor become a force for the team and or do the same thing, meaning be be what Randy Rosarena was, at least in some way, shape, or form, on the postseason stage. I think until we see Matthew Libertor do that, a lot of Cardinals fans are still going to feel a little raw about that deal. I don't know that we'll ever get over it. And I, they were having this conversation yesterday in the fast lane, and I texted BT and he, because he had said, hey, if we're winning, we'll get over it. I said, 
You know, the Cardinals won the 1982 World Series. And that year, 1982, Steve Carlton won his fourth Cy Young Award. And I was still pissed that <laughs> st- that Steve Carlton was not a member of the Cardinals. And especially with where the Cardinals are, as much as we like what we see from the three outfielders, from O'Neill, from Bader, from Dylan Carlson, Randy Rosarena's on-base percentages in his two years in Tampa have been 382 and 356. And the Cardinals are a team in need of a guy that gets on base to lead off. Randy Rosarena would be a great fit for the Cardinals. Both things can exist at the same time. You can be really pleased with the outfielders that they hung on to, winning two gold gloves, Dylan Carlson in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. You could feel really good about the future of O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson while still also feeling like the Cardinals made a mistake in getting rid of Randy Rosarena. Both feelings can exist at the same time. And unfortunately for Matthew Lippertor, those expectations that are placed on him are going to be incredibly outsized and incredibly unfair until he performs to the level that Cardinals fans feel is comparable to what Randy Rosarena has done with the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Cardinals play the long game. If I were in the Cardinals' shoes in 2022, I would treat Libertor like they treated Adam Wainwright in 2006. He would be one of my lefties out of the pen, along with McFarland and Cabrera. I I wouldn't have him early on in high leverage situations. I would ease him into those and then let him become a starter in 2023. I would really be taking the long game with Libertor. And it is unfair to place those expectations on him based on the performance of the guy that he got traded for. Nothing he can do about that. But that's just reality. When you make a deal, for example, Cardinal fans right now are complaining and should rightfully complain about the fact that they've given up Sandy Alcantara mm-hmm. for Marcelo Zuna and have nothing to show for it. That's apples for apples. We traded player X for player Y. We expect player Y to, to perform better than player X. And it it, it needs to happen for Matthew Libertor. And when Randy Rosarena, literally, it's like the soul of Babe Ruth entered his body. Mm-hmm. And when he explodes into the postseason stage and the entire world is watching him do this. And every time he hits a home run or has an amazing play, the asterisk is, oh, he was an afterthought in the Cardinals deal. <laughs> With, you know what I mean? When any time the team that you cheer for is being thrown into that conversation, it is going to sting a little bit more. Then he follows up that postseason performance leading all rookies with 4.1 war he Mm -hmm. hit 20 home runs he stole 20 bases I mean you you gave a lot of the numbers earlier he was sensational and so if not only he did it on the postseason stage but then follows it up with a really strong year yeah Cardinals it's really hard to to compare what Matthew Libertor is going to be until he is somebody that I think is probably a rotation guy or somebody that becomes a I'm going to give you the ball in a high pressure situation guy can I give the Cardinals some credit here yes go they, for it they recognized the talent of Randy Rosarena who won American League Rookie of the Year of Adolis Garcia, who finished fourth in American League Rookie of the Year voting. They recognized the talent of a guy like Sandy Alcantara to bring him into their organization, Zach Gallen, Carson Kelly. The Cardinals do a really good job of evaluating talent to bring into their organization. Their problem is evaluating the talent once it's in, once it's in their organization. Well, and Randy Rosarena never really got time to show what he could no. do. He never got the the runway to be able to see what we saw him do once he left the organization. And that's a problem too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. It's time for the blues booth. Bernie Federico, the hall of famer next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. We always enjoy talking to the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Good morning, Bernie. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing great, thanks. What happened last night when the Blues took on the 113-1 Coyotes? How did the Blues lose to them? Uh, it's kind of hard to believe, Randy, but you know what? It's the National Hockey League, and uh, if you don't show up in the right frame of mind, uh, anybody can beat you. I mean, the Coyotes, yeah, they've struggled all year long, but, uh, you know, <laughs> they're going to eventually win some games, and one of those games was last night. Uh, I don't think the Blues really had the emotion that they uh, probably should have had and maybe didn't take the team uh, as, as serious as, as they should have, and consequently, it, it cost them. But, I mean, I, I give the Coyotes a lot of credit, though, Randy. They played... Uh, very hard, like they, uh, they. I think everybody expected that, and and you know what, special teams they scored a couple of power play goals, and uh, they've not been able to do that all year, and they did it last night, and that's why they won the game. Bernie Tory Krug said after the game that they played stupid at at times last night, and you heard Craig Ruby saying that the team didn't have a sense of urgency. How do they correct that? Is that something that needs to come from Craig Ruby, come from their head coach, or is that something the players have to do themselves? No, Michelle, that's something the players have to do themselves. I mean, I think everybody understands that uh, what you have to do. And, and you know, I, I think that there's been so many changes in the lineup, too. I'm not making excuses for them, but, I mean, they just came off a really emotional weekend playing against, you know, the two best teams in the league in Carolina and Edmonton. And I think they should have got points in both those because they played very, very well. And I think maybe there was just a little bit of a letdown. The, the emotional level wasn't as high as it probably should have been. Uh, to play against Arizona. I mean, they had a couple of guys, and obviously when Sunquist comes back, there was a big lift, and, and Perunovic playing his first game. So I think that there was other distractions maybe in there uh, that they didn't really uh, uh, take much of uh, enough of a, of a, of a, of a, of a mental uh, situation that, that they should have. So I, I think uh, it is just what it is. I mean, it's 82 games. You're going to have games that you're going to be off, and I think that really for the most part last night, uh, you know, they had 36 shots on goal. They had plenty of scoring chances. I thought, you know, the goaltending wedge, Wedgwood or whatever his name was for, for uh, played played very well for uh, um, you know uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and, and kind of that was the difference in the game. Bernie, you've played on teams that have made dramatic personnel changes, and it actually kind of is a, a pretty dramatic personnel change because most of these players, many of these players, haven't played with Sunquist, and almost none of them have played with a guy like Perunovic. And you're playing without Braden Shen. Is there a, a time frame in which a hockey team, when you have turnover like that, has to develop a, a level of chemistry? Yeah, I think so, Randy. I mean, they know each other well, but I mean, I think for Sunquist especially, I mean, uh, to come back after surgery and I mean, he missed training camp, he, he, no, no, no preseason games. I mean, all you do is practice with the guys, and all of a sudden you're thrown in, in, in a real live game where everybody is already in, in, in mid-season form already, you know, we're 15 or 16 games into the season. So everybody's already in mid-season form, and, and he's just kind of starting all over again. So, I mean, t- last night was a tough night for him. And uh, for Prunovich, I mean, just the excitement for him, the emotional level was great for him. Um, but uh, it sometimes does take uh, you know away from the rest of the team because everybody's kind of watch stands around and starts watching instead of participating. And uh, I, I don't think it's just a matter of getting the chemistry. I mean, the chemistry's there on this team. There's lots of you know pieces that can be mixed and matched, 
And I think that's uh, something that uh, is a very much an advantage for Craig Berube because he can continue to, to change lines and do things that he needs to do. But at some point in time, I think we need to see a guy like maybe David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly back together. And, I mean, you got those familiarity parts that, that have been there. I mean, but Shen obviously is a part that's, that's really missing. But uh, you're going to go through that during the course of the season. I think we're watching it with every team right now that's coming in. It seems like everybody's got a couple of guys out for COVID. Uh, everybody's got injuries. So I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of turnover during the entire season. And I think you're just going to have to learn to deal with it. Bernie, you mentioned Scott Perun- Perunovich making his NHL debut last night. What did you see from him in his first game with the Blues? I think he was fine. I mean, he is a, is a small guy and he's a small defender, but I think his, his really his uh, positive part of his game is, is the way he plays offense, the way he thinks, the way he skates. And uh, I didn't think he was out of place by any means last night. I mean, he, uh, uh, played what almost three minutes uh, on the power plays. Um, he's a quarterback on the power play, and that's kind of been his bread and butter all his uh, his what you call his, his career so far. I mean, through college and, and, and into the minors now. I mean, he's been great as a power play setup man, and and I thought he he did a very good job with it. His outlet passes were good, and um, it's going to just take him a while to learn how to defend and because when you're only five foot ten. And there's a lot of guys that are six foot five out there. You, you've got to get body position. You've got a, a lot of things that you're going to learn. And I think that he's got a perfect guy to learn from in, in Tory Krug because uh, Krug has been that through that before because of his size. And I think he can really help uh, with Scott. Hey, Bernie, a couple of days ago was the Hall of Fame induction for the class of 2021. And I, I want to know from you as a Hall of Famer, when you watch guys like Kevin Lowe, who took a long time like you to make it to the Hall of Fame, guys like Aginla and Hosa, when you see other Hall of Famers, does, do you ever think, man, you know what, I'm in with that group. That's really impressive. Yeah, it really is, Randy. I mean, I, I mean, every time I, you know, you don't really think about it uh, very often. I mean, you, you, you heard your name mentioned all the time with 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 the word Hall of Fame, so it's it, it's it's very much an honor. But uh, you know, every time uh, the uh, induction ceremonies come up every year, just listening to the speeches and just watching it on, yeah, I'm still um, have to pitch myself each and every year, and it's 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 a really special thing, and I love listening to what the guys have to say because it is it's a it's a journey you don't it's something you never expect when you get the call um you're you're you're, you're over it's overwhelming and, and uh um just to hear what they they have to say and just to remember what i had to say it's it's, it's really a special time bernie jordan Cairo is such an exciting talent he has turned into must-see tv when you watch him play what do you think that he can be well he just uh, i mean he's very exciting as you said to watch i mean he's just got such a high skill level because he's quick um, he's got great moves. He's got great hands and great puck sense. So I mean, it's just fun watching him play. I mean, I, um, I it just it's a testament to the to the scouting of the Blues. Uh, I think Robert Thomas is going through the same thing right now. We're seeing much more out of him. So um, when you look at two guys like that, you know that the future of, of the Blues is, is continue to to stay bright. I mean, they've got a lot of great veteran players, but you got a couple of young kids like that that can play as well as as they're playing right now. Uh, that means that uh, uh, they're going to become the leaders at a certain point in time, and, and, and there's more skilled guys that, that come after them. Uh, you continue to have a really good hockey club here in San Luis. Bernie, last thing from me, the schedule kind of opens up for the Blues here. They've got San Jose tomorrow, Dallas at Dallas on Saturday, then Vegas comes in, but then Thanksgiving week at Detroit, not great, at Chicago, not great. What's your confidence level in this team being able to go on a little bit of a run here? 
Well, I mean, they certainly should, but I mean, it's. I think last night proved that it's it's really hard to win if you're not uh, if you're not in the right frame of mind. If you're not in your, your compete level is not is not as high as it should be. Uh, if you, even if you're the better team, that doesn't mean you're going to win. So uh, this is a grueling part of it, Rennie. I say th- I think that even though they're the, the teams that they're playing are, are not maybe the the best teams in the league, but when you're playing every other day, I mean, they've got what Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, and then the day off for. Thanksgiving, and then they play actually Friday and Saturday, an afternoon game in Chicago, and then you know right back here at home on Saturday against Columbus. I mean that's a tough little stretch. So um, you know Chicago is playing much better after they made their uh, coaching change. Detroit is playing much better, especially at home. Um, they've got a young team that's that's really uh, has played well. Columbus is starting to play well. So I mean there's really no give me games. So they're going to have to be prepared. Um, when I look at them on paper and the way they can play and where they're capable, what we just saw this weekend, and just the talent they have on this team, um, they can. The sky's the limit. I mean, there's no question that, that I, I think that the Blues are one of the top, uh, you know, four or five teams in, in the entire Western Conference. So, um, you know, we haven't seen much of the East yet, so we're not sure what's going on there. But uh, they, you know, it, it, it's on the plate for them. They, they, I think they have to decide. Uh, what they want to do, and if they, if they play up to their capabilities, they're cer- certainly going to have a great year. Bernie, always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. You guys have a great day. See you later. That is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, joining Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, it is notable because if you can lose to Arizona, you're capable of losing to anybody, right? Yes. Arizona, after last night, their goal differential is minus 36. That's worst in the league. The second worst, we're 15 games into the season, is Montreal at minus 23. So even after last night, after getting a one-goal win against the Blues, the Coyotes are minus 13 more, almost a goal a game worse than the second worst team in the league. It's just there's no excuses for that for no. last night, losing to a team like that. No. And we talked about how with the COVID guys out, Bennington needed to be better. Jordan Bennington needs to be better. He, the, the game against Carolina, pretty, he saw it. He, normally with Jordan, he, what he sees, he gets. And the, the winner against Edmonton, same thing. And then last night, he, just, he needs to be better too. There's a lot of things that over the course of these last four games, I'm sure Craig Ruby looks at it and says, we need to get better in a lot of areas. I wouldn't want to be in a team meeting today. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy coming up. Jonathan is back for his second day in the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, 834. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, which is an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time to bring in the champ. The defending champ here on the fight is Jonathan. He beat Randy yesterday. It was a nail-biter. They both got all four correct. It went to the tiebreaker round. Jonathan was closest to the pin. He took home the W, and he is back today to take on Randy. He's one step closer to the Hall of Fame. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you? Good. How are you, Michelle? I'm good. Were you riding high on your victory yesterday? Oh, yes, I was. I was bragging to the boys because they both played Randy before and lost. Oh, you're the guy in the squad that beat Randy. That's bragging rights for yeah. life. 
Yes, it is. All right. Well, are you ready to go for day number two? Yes. All right. Let's jump right in. Good luck to you. Question number one. Which Cardinals player was injured when the automatic tarp at Bush Stadium rolled over his leg? Was it Danny Cox, Geronimo Pena, or Vince Coleman? Vince Coleman. All right, question number two. Who was the first Blues player to score 50 goals in a season? Was it Brian Sutter, Wayne Babich, or Brett Hall? Brian Sutter. Question number three for Jonathan. What NFL player returned to fumble 66 yards to the wrong end zone? Was it Leon Lett, Jim Marshall, or Delta O'Neal? Jim Marshall. And question number four, what MLB player holds the record for most games played with no World Series appearance? Is it Ken Griffey Jr., Andre Dawson, or Rafael Palmeiro? That's a good one. Um, That's a good one, Andrew. I'd say um, Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. Jonathan has completed the final. Let's check our score here. Yep, confirming. Waving in Randy who is chatting in the hall. Come on in, sir. He's not texting today. No, he is not texting. He is locked in today after his L that he sustained yesterday to the hands of Jonathan, who's with us. Randy, say hello to the reigning champ. You remember him from yesterday. It's Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome back. How you doing, sir? Good, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Hey, I'd like to give a shout-out to my two boys, Alex and Joey. They both played you in the fight before, and you beat them, so the old man's got bragging rights right now. <laughs> I like to hear that. Alex and Joey, thanks for listening. And shout-out to Jonathan for wanting to yeah. complete the family, <laughs> the family's attempt at the fight. That takes some bravery after your two boys lose. There is something to be said for the wisdom of the father. That's right. But shout-out to Alex and Joey. Yeah. All right, Randy, are you ready? Ready. Question number one, which Cardinals player was injured when the automatic tarp at Bush Stadium rolled over his leg? Hmm. Hmm. I will go with uh, Vince Coleman in 1985. Yeah, I could tell that you knew that with your, hmm. Hmm. You're not pulling anyone. (laughs) All right, Randy, who was the first Blues player to score 50 goals in a season? Hmm. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Uh, Wayne Babbage, 54, 1980 What NFL player returned to fumble 66 yards to the wrong end zone? Hmm. Oh, my goodness. Marshall's going the wrong way. Uh, he actually got the nickname, Wrong Way Marshall. He did it in San Francisco back in, what, 1962 or something. I think of the year I was born. Jim Marshall of the Vikings. All right, Randy, let's see if this question gets a, hmm. What MLB player holds the record for most games played with no World Series appearance? Hmm. Only one? No. All time or currently? All time. Okay, I think I know this, but I'm going to do the lifeline. We have Ken Griffey Jr., Andre Dawson, or Rafael Palmero. Okay, this is good. Uh, let's see. Griffey missed a lot of games. Palmero, 89 to about 06. And the Hawk, he missed a lot of time, too. This is a really good question. I believe I will go with, uh, 89, 99, 09, 12. 
I'm just I'm thinking of years here, and I shouldn't because mm. Griffey missed so many games. Mm. I think I will go with Andre Dawson. Another close fight between Randy and Jonathan, but today it's not going to the tiebreaker round. One of you is, in fact, victorious. Is Jonathan moving on for a Hall of Fame fight tomorrow? Andrew, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Jonathan, I was pulling for you. After Randy's, hmm, yeah. just trolling. I was pulling for you. I was pulling for you. But he, in fact, beat you 3-2. to two. It was close, 3-2. to two. So it was Vince Coleman. He was the Cardinals player that was injured when the automatic tarp at Bush Stadium rolled over his leg. Ouch. Yeah. Wayne Babbage was the first Blues player to score 50 goals in a season. Jim Marshall was that NFL player that returned a fumble 66 yards to the wrong end zone. And both of you got this one incorrect. It's Rafael Palmero. He is the Major League Baseball player that holds the record for most games played with no World Series appearance. You knew it was going to be a Cub, right? Somebody who had spent a lot of time <laughs> in Chicago. It just makes sense. It yeah. just makes sense. Jonathan, you didn't win today, but you're a winner in your family because you beat Randy once. So thanks for listening. Thanks for playing and enjoy those bragging rights. Right, thanks, guys. It was awesome. Had a great time. Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan with us. I'm 101 ESPN. Oh, you want me to, uh, I didn't even know this was, I, I didn't know I was allowed to do this today, Michelle. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you just, uh, I had it queued up. He's right. kind of a big deal. <laughs> oh, jeez. What? I wasn't expecting that one. You do have many leather-bound books, though. <laughs> I do have a lot of and them. your office does true. smell of work, rich work, mahogany. Work, 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 <laughs> hey, We got some new stuff here. Oh, you know what we got? Uh. Should we do anything new or should we just yeah. win, win, win. No, debut something new. Okay. I, I don't know if we, I don't know if I have it in my thing. I wish I did. Oh, I I so you don't have thing. anything new. Well, for Jonathan. Don't stop okay, we got to wrap up. Yeah, we do. Okay. I can see you staring intently though oh, here, at that here machine. Here we go. I found it. I found it. I found it. Are we ready? Yeah. Oh. Another one bites the dust? Yeah. You're going to Freddie Mercury him? Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. Save up to 20% on a great selection of service loaners. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. You do that really well, Randy. Thank you. So Giannis Attentacumpo, NBA champion. Thank you. Say it again. Attentacumpo. Okay. I could also do uh uh-oh, Manawa Nui. That's... It's all in the cadence. Even his coach couldn't say that. Or uh, Georgie Bejanisvili, Illinois product. That's incredible. Yeah, I can't do any of those. Yes, you could. You could say Giannis's last name. Bejanisvili. You could say Giannis's last name. Adekukupo. 
close enough. Giannis. Giannis. <laughs> Giannis, it's good. Well, he was. Uh, he's on the cover of GQ, Randy, because he's an NBA mm-hmm. champion. He's a stylish guy. Of course, he's on the cover of GQ. And it's this one quote that was in the cover story about Giannis that's giving getting a lot of pub. So... He talked about how he wanted to stay in Milwaukee because it was a challenge. He didn't want to join a super team or go to a bigger market. He wanted to stay in Milwaukee because it's difficult. But now the Bucks have won an NBA championship. So here is what Giannis said in the GQ piece. One challenge was to bring a championship here, and we did. It was very, very hard, but we did. I just love challenges. What's the next challenge? The next challenge might not be here. And he says, me and my family, we chose to stay in this city that we all love and has taken care of us for now. In two years, that might change. I'm being totally honest with you. I'm always honest. I love this city. I love this community. I want to help as much as possible. Like, And then later in the article, his agent says that he's trying to pump the brakes, saying it doesn't mean that Giannis is considering leaving the Bucks. He's, he's just trying to talk about how he needs to manufacture a challenge in order to stay locked in in the manner in which he is. But to me, Randy, when I read that, and if you're saying that you've already won in Milwaukee and that the challenge might not be as great there and staying and trying to win again as it might be trying to leave and go somewhere else. I'm thinking you've already processed those thoughts about leaving. NBA players almost without fail prefer climate, unless you're KD or Harden who have gone to Brooklyn, but they definitely prefer market and climate. When you look at where the best players in the NBA are now, You've got Curry and you've got Thompson in Golden State. You've got LeBron and you've got AD with the Lakers. You've got Kawhi and Paul George with the Clippers. And then you had Harden and Durant go to the the Nets. And then you've got Giannis, who, and by the way, Chris Paul, we should note, in Phoenix too, warm weather. Then you've got Giannis in Milwaukee. It's almost like that's the outlier. The, mm-hmm. the smaller market, worst climate teams like <laughs> Cleveland, Detroit, Charlotte, Utah, they aren't getting free agents. They don't have a chance. No, because these are NBA stars that want to be in big, glamorous markets. Yeah. And if Giannis wants to do that, if he wants to increase his profile outside of basketball, I have no problem with that. And he's not lying here. That's the the big key is that he's not saying, I'm, I'm going to be here forever. So I'm fine with what he says. And I completely believe him when he says he loves Milwaukee. There's been extensive profiles done on Giannis and the things that he does for the city and how he likes the pace of Milwaukee and he likes the people of Milwaukee. But when he goes anywhere, I'm sure he is the star in the room, right? Like I was just in New York and I had lunch at a place and I look over the table next to me and there's Blake Griffin and no Mm -hmm. one is looking at him. No one's taking pictures of him. No one's bothering him. He's not mobbed. And I'm sure NBA players talk and that's probably appealing to a star that you can go somewhere and you can let your guard down a little bit and feel like a a normal person. Absolutely. And you're not going to get that in Milwaukee. No, and, and there are very few markets you can. Probably, well, you, you've got the Bay Area, you've got New York, and you've got L.A. Is there any other market that... Maybe Miami? Yeah, oh, that, that's a good call. But that would be about it. I don't even know if Chicago. When you look at... What, Michael Jordan couldn't go anywhere no, in Chicago. exactly. And that, that's a pretty big market. So I think it, it would be difficult. I, I would guess that it's probably tough in Philly. It's probably tough for guys like Embiid. They get things thrown at them? Yep. <laughs> they walk into yeah. a restaurant, rolls start coming, yeah. Yeah. left so and right. I, I, I don't have difficulty with guys being honest. I don't either. And I don't have difficulty with guys wanting to self-motivate and needing a challenge. Right. No, me either. And hopefully that will present another challenge. But I would love for him to stay in Milwaukee. Yeah.
And Aaron Rodgers said it's hard to get free agents to come here mm-hmm. to, to Wisconsin. I get that. You're killing me, Smalls. So one place it's not hard to get free agents to go is L.A., as we've seen with the Rams, Randy, who are just collecting Mm -hmm. stars left and right. Troy Aikman was on the ticket in Dallas, 96.7, the ticket, and he was asked about Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr., their relationship and what he was seeing in that Monday night football game. And I'm going to give you two separate quotes. We'll go one, and then I want you to respond, and then I'll give you the other. Okay. So he says, I like a lot of what they've done, but the last few moves, I don't want to say desperation because I don't feel that way, but I definitely got the feeling watching them last night that it has totally shook the chemistry and the foundation and the bedrock of this football team. And that happens. You bring in just one player, you bring into the locker room, it can change the dynamic of a locker room. Let's just say you have players who, if you bring in a player and then someone's not going to play, right? I mean, you're bringing in a guy and he's going to play and then you're going to be playing as much. You're not going to be happy. And if that player's not going to be playing as much, it's a popular player in the locker room or has four or five really close friends say, hey, he was pr- doing pretty good. That starts to trickle down. And then you have that and c- it creates clicks within. So that's what I sensed last night. So that was his first comment about bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. to the Rams, saying that what he observed was that the chemistry of the Rams was off bringing him in. Look at the first play of the game. Cooper Cup is Stafford's guy. But the first play of the game, second play of the game, I guess it was, first interception, they were trying to force the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. First play of the game, they threw the ball to Beckham. And then first interception of the game, they tried to force the ball to Beckham rather than doing what they do best. And I understand that Robert Woods was hurt. But their two main guys are Cup and Higby. And that does upset the chemistry on and off the field when you, you bring in a guy like that. And there's been a lot of discussion about the Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. relationship. And we know Odell aired it out on social media, or his father aired it out, Mm -hmm. I should say, on social media. The videos of Baker not getting him the ball, then reports out of Cleveland saying that's not how this works. This is a a tempo offense, et cetera, et cetera. So here is what... Troy Aikman had to say about that. He says, I think Matthew now feels some of the pressure that maybe Baker Mayfield felt of, hey, we got to get this guy involved or he's in the game right now because he's going to take this deep route and I've got to find a way to get this ball in his hands because that's why he's playing on this play. It's not good and it's not good playing quarterback when you feel pressure to get the ball to one particular player. It just doesn't work. So I don't know. Maybe they can pull themselves out of it and get going, but that was a beat down last night. There's a reason that Terrell Owens bounced around as much as he did because he demanded the football. There's not much difference between T.O. and Beckham. T.O. spouted off more and did sit-ups in his driveway. But in terms of guys coming back to the huddle and wanting the ball and putting pressure on the quarterback, not much difference there. And my second comment to that would be that was the wonder of the greatest show on turf is that, yes, Bruce and Holt and Falk and Akeem and Prohl Even Roland Williams would come back to the huddle and tell Kurt Warner they were open, but they wouldn't come back demanding the ball. And it was such an unselfish group. And they were all about winning. It wasn't, get me the ball, I'm open. Or Keyshawn Johnson's book, throw me the damn ball. Another guy that that bounced around. There's a reason that certain groups of wide receivers have the level of success that they do, like the Rams guys did, like Harrison and Wayne did in Indianapolis because they aren't selfish. And at the end of the day, uh, from a football standpoint, I don't know Odell Beckham personally at all, but I can tell you from a football standpoint, he's a selfish player. And if you're Sean McVay in the Rams, why would you want to put that that pressure on your quarterback? 
why would you want to take potentially take that decision out of his hands? If because he does a lot of commercials, Michelle. He's a well-known face, and that well-known face might get somebody to buy a ticket to SoFi Stadium. But if you're making a business decision and not a football decision, that's a recipe for disaster. It is, but that, again, goes back to desperation. Rams are disappointed by their reception six years in. They're disappointed by their reception in Los Angeles. And they think that just because they're the NFL that they should be number one. And you talk to people in radio in L.A. What are the big things on sports talk radio in L.A.? Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. There you go. It's not about the Rams. And that probably, especially Demoff, probably bothers him to no end that he couldn't walk through that door and be number one in that market. But for this is just like with the NFL owners being surprised that Stan Stan wants to turn left on the indemnification clause or the Rams brass being surprised that they go to L.A. and they're not the number one thing in town. For people that are allegedly really smart business people, it's like that they can't do their own market research. It's like they they are being presented the facts. When you do business with Stan Kroenke, are you not looking at his history? Why are you surprised when he does to you what he's done to every other business entity that he's ever worked with? When you go to LA and clearly football has not been the number one thing there for a long time, why are you surprised when you fall victim to the same scenario? I don't understand why these egos are so outside that they think they can be the outlier. And that's the great thing about this is that on a lower level, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be the to them what they are to so many others. They think they can change it, but they aren't going to change him. But it's entertaining for us. Yes, it is. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Scott Perunovich's college coach is Scott Sandlin, and he's going to join us. Uh, He also, by the way, coached uh, Justin Falk, and the Minnesota Duluth hockey coach is going to join us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. It's 9.01, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And last night, the Hobie Baker Award winner from Minnesota Duluth, Scott Perunovich, made his NHL debut for the St. Louis Blues. And on the line with us now is Scott Sandlin, Perunovich's coach at Minnesota Duluth, still there. Also played in the NHL with Craig Berube. Scott, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Did you get a chance? Were you guys playing last night, or did you get a chance to watch Perunovich play? Oh, I watched. Yeah, I watched the whole game. Um, obviously, it was uh, exciting to see him play and get a chance to see Falker play too. So it was good. Uh, I know the result wasn't wasn't good, but uh, I thought Scotty uh, had a really good first game. Well, give us a scouting report, Scott. What is Scott mm-hmm. Perunovich the player? What can Blues fans expect from him? Well, I. I think even last night you probably saw a little bit of it. I mean, he's obviously uh, he's a special player. I always term him that. He was he was a big impact player for us here. Obviously, great offensive ability. He's got the he's got great vision. He's a good passer of the puck. Um, you know, I think he's got great deception to a game. He's just a guy that has a really good feel for the game. And I think uh, I think you saw a little bit of that last night. Hopefully, you'll continue to see a lot of that. But. Uh, I think the one thing too that people don't know he's a he's a he's a fierce competitor. He he doesn't like to lose and 
and he's a competitive kid for, you know, not being a big guy, but he's, uh, he, he's got that competitiveness, and uh, that's what makes him successful. I was going to ask you about his size because it wasn't too long ago that if, if you weren't six foot and 200, you weren't getting much of a look in the NHL. But then you see a Makar come along and, and play the way he has. And it seems like that, that small guy is finding his way back into the league. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, with the rule change, uh, yeah, you didn't see a lot of those guys back uh, when I was playing. Uh, I was six foot and I was, I was small. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it's a different game. Obviously, it, the game's faster. You got to be able to skate. Uh, obviously, with the you know the the way they call the game, it, it allows the the smaller skilled players to to play and, and succeed at that level. So it's been fun to watch. Uh, you know, a lot of the smaller players, uh, whether they're defensemen or forwards, have success in the NHL. Scott Sandlin, the head coach at Minnesota Duluth, with us on 101 ESPN. And I know this is kind of an unfair question, but I know that as a coach, you've done this as a hockey observer. When Perunovic gets to where he can be, what's his NHL comp? Oh, you know, uh, you know, the interesting thing, you know, he's, you know, when he was in college too, and you see a, a guy like Tory Krug play, right, or a Jarrett Spurgeon, those undersized guys that, you know, that have you know they're they're very similar you know i mean spurgeon is uh, is probably a little bit different than crew but but similar just because of the stature but i think uh you know quinn hughes is another one that uh you know is is an undersized defense but i think he's got a little bit of everything but i think he's got really intel he's he's got really good hockey iq and you know i think all those guys do but uh you know, those are those are probably the comparables. You know, that are playing and, and having success in the league, and obviously one's his teammate right now in Tory Krug. But um, you know, I think those are very, very, uh, very good examples of probably you know what he could be. Scott, you mentioned your playing days, and you played with Blues head coach Craig Bruby. So I got to ask you, give us a great Bruby story. I'm sure there's a great Craig Bruby fighting story that you can share with us. Um, well, uh, there's probably a lot of stories I could say, but I don't want to say them on the air, but, um, <laughs> fair, you know, fair. He, was, he was, uh, he was just a really good teammate. You know, obviously he was a pretty, pretty tough, intense guy, but you know, he's got the soft side to a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, maybe you don't see that. I think probably as a coach, the players see that a little bit cause he cares and he was the same way as a teammate. You know, he, you know, if there was stuff going on, chief was there but you know he he worked and and you know he earned everything he got and it was great to see him have success there and i'm really happy for him uh you know having success with st louis behind the bench have you two connected about perunovic um you know what no you know um i've i've, I've ran into to 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 craig a few times uh prior to like in the, the drafts and stuff uh, last couple of years we haven't but uh you know i've talked a little bit with uh with Keith Kachuk and uh, but no, we really haven't, you know, and I haven't really bothered him. You know, I figured if he, if he had questions, he'd call me. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's going to, he's going to coach him the way he needs to coach him. And uh, I think uh, they're going to like what they see as, as, as he goes along here. Scott Sandlin, the head coach at Minnesota Duluth with us on 101 ESPN. You mentioned, and we were aware of the fact that you also coached Justin Falk in college. And it's amazing. He's one of those guys now that's so steady. We, we kind of take him for granted with how good he is here in St. Louis now. Yeah, he, you know, he was the same way. He only played one year for us, and that was the 2010-11 year. And we won our first national championship, and then, and then Justin signed and 
you know, he was he was an impact player for us coming in, just like Scotty was, and, and those guys really had a, you know, left a pretty good legacy. I mean, Scotty was here for three years, and, and Justin was here for one, but it felt like it felt like Falker was here for longer. But uh, he's uh, he's he's had a great career. Um, obviously, with started with Carolina, and, uh, you know, different players. But uh, the interesting thing, both of both of them. Uh, were one of our top scorers uh, their freshman year. They both had over 30, 35 points uh, for a defenseman as a freshman. And I know with Falker, even at Christmas, uh, just watching him play, uh, we knew he wasn't going to be in college for, for more than two years. It ended up being one year, unfortunately, but it was a great year. But uh, he, had a, he had a huge impact on our team and, and a big reason why we won that year. Scott, you gave us a great breakdown of Scott Perunovich, the player, but what about Scott Perunovich, the person? You mentioned that he was competitive, but what else can you tell us about him as a guy? Well, he's a great athlete, number one. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, him and I had some some good pointed conversations while he was here, just trying to keep him on track. And uh, But, you know, he's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, from the standpoint of, making a difference in the game. I think you'll see that as a player. Um, but he, like I said, he's a competitive kid and, and he doesn't like to lose no matter, no matter what he's doing. And uh, he was, like I said, a, a real good athlete, a real good tennis player. Um, but, you know, just that athleticism, that, that fire and that compete, um, you know, make him, uh, you know, a different player. Those kids, uh, you know, just have that drive. And I think, you know, this, this call-up was great for him. I talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago, and, you know, obviously he was doing great in the American League. So it was, uh, you know, I just tell him, tell him just keep doing what he's doing. Sometimes uh, I think with Scotty, if, if, if there's probably one thing, you know, he probably, you know, gets down on himself or whatever, probably because he has high expectations of himself. So I think that's something that he'll continue to learn. And, and obviously at, at that level, uh, you know, there'll be ups and downs, but I think he'll, he'll find a way through because, you know, he continues to mature as a, as a player and a person. Scott Sandler, one more thing, and that's in regards to what we want here in St. Louis. Can you do us a favor and find the next Brett Hall and develop him for St. Louis? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're looking for that, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I get to play against Brett, so um, I'd love to have another one of those guys here, but they're few and far between, you know, there's uh, not a lot of guys who like to shoot the puck and score goals like him. And uh, hopefully we can find one here. We got a couple of young freshmen coming in that, that maybe aren't Brett Hall, but have a similar mindset. So hopefully we'll find one for you. Yeah. He had what, 32 and 49 goal years there. I, I would assume his numbers up in the rafters, right? Uh, yeah. You know, he wasn't fun to play against as a, as a defenseman. <laughs> I can just tell you that <laughs> even, even when you thought you had him covered, you never had him covered, but, uh, you know, he played on a great team and, you know, Norm McIver, Bill Watson, you know, Tommy Curvers, those guys, uh, they, they were very successful and, uh, Brett was a big part of that. Scott, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Great to have you with us and have a good year. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. That's Scott Sandlin, former NHLer, the head coach of Minnesota Duluth, where Brett Hull played. And obviously, both Scott Perunovich and Justin Falk did, too. What a great description of Brett Hall. Even when you thought you had him covered, you, you didn't, didn't have, have him covered. covered. <laughs> and Hully talks about how he could find the, the dead spot on the ice. And he played such a great mental game. He was unbelievable. He's still unbelievable. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, we talked earlier about the NFL perhaps expanding to 40 teams. 
We're going to revisit that. We want to hear from you next about it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Skip Schumacher, the Cardinals' new bench coach, will join the fast lane at 3 o'clock this afternoon. You'll want to stay tuned for that. And we talked earlier, Michelle and I, about the story that Mike Florio wrote. Not a story, really an opinion about how it might benefit the National Football League to expand to 40 teams. If they're going to add a team, if they're forced to not forced, but if they desire Mm -hmm. to add a team and it is accepted in St. Louis to get to 33, they're not going to have an odd number of teams in their league. They're not going to have a team off every week. So you're going to go to 34. And Mike Florio's suggestion, well, if if you're going to do that, why not just go up to 40 and take care of some of the underserved areas of the country and of the world and make some money in the process? Because, Michelle, the going rate for an NFL expansion team is going to be $3 billion. The Panthers got sold for $2.5 billion. If you get to get a new team and it's yours and you can have it in your town or where you want it, $3 billion is going to be the price. And I'm sure there's a lot of markets out there that would be very interested in bringing an NFL team there. And markets that have lost teams already in addition to St. Louis, Oakland, and San Diego. And by the way, if you're looking right now at the Bay Area market, you've got the area south of San Francisco, which is Santa Clara, huge population there. But if you go north to Sacramento, which is uh, another huge population market, Oakland would really serve another huge population area north of the Bay Area if you could go back into Oakland. Portland is the number 22 market. There's three a three-hour drive away from Seattle. San Antonio is the number 31 market. They're three hours to Houston and four and a half to Dallas, and it, it is an underserved NFL market. Albuquerque, Santa Fe, five spots below Jacksonville, but bigger than New Orleans, Buffalo, and Green Bay, the number 46 market in the country. Plus, Florio suggests that you're going to have two teams in London. You could look at Toronto. You can look at Mexico City. You could easily find the markets, Michelle, for eight more NFL teams. But can you find the talent to field the the teams? You might have to develop some players on your own. But think about this. Every year in the cutdown, the last cutdown from 90 to 53, 1,000 players get cut. But those aren't top-tier NFL players that are going to put butts in seats no, in London. But you'll just you'll have to spread out the talent a little bit more, and the cream will rise to the top. Yes, uh, the the talent level isn't going to be as great across the board, but it'll still be equal. I don't know that it'll be unrecognized or that it'll be recognizable. If the te- if if the competitive level of the NFL goes down a notch. It's gone down a notch in the last 20 years, and fans really haven't noticed or complained. I don't think that it'll change. L.A. is an interesting case study here because it's a massive American market that has roots in football and has had teams there in the past. And they put two teams in a massive stadium in L.A. that likes to be at the hot thing and and likes stars and that still hasn't even been enough for them to sell out PSLs and sell out games. What makes the NFL think that going abroad and putting two teams in London is going to work? They're trying to globalize and they want to sell TV rights 
and internet rights in London. And it really doesn't matter how good the, the teams are or even if they sell out after 10 years or not because they'll be getting the TV money. And that's, at the end of the day, all the NFL really cares about is the money. Right? They, they aren't concerned about the quality of the product. They aren't concerned about whether or not they sell out because ticket revenue is a drop in the bucket. What they're concerned about is getting the most money. And I'm sure that gambling and the evolution of gambling is a driving force in making them feel confident that they could probably put a team in any market. And even if it doesn't sell out, that they're going to be ben- it's going to be beneficial from the- for them from a financial standpoint. Because even if people are watching on TV and they're engaged with fantasy football or they're making their bets on FanDuel or whatever it may be, that's still money that's going to the NFL's pocket because people are paying attention to their product. And if the NFL is putting money in their pocket, all that matters plus michelle let's not leave out the gambling aspect of this the more people across the country that you can get to gamble and the now the nfl can monetize gambling like mike florio says you want as much inventory as you can get because if you can get people in santa fe that might not be predisposed to gambling get them to to gamble if you can get people in portland to gamble on an nfl game because they have a team that's going to increase the revenues for the nfl too so do you th- what markets outside of London and potentially St. Louis do you think the NFL is eyeing? If I were the NFL, I would certainly be looking at Toronto because if Toronto were in the United States, it would be the fourth biggest market. And you can get some Canadian, more a little bit more Canadian TV market. That's a huge one. I, I'd heard that they liked Oakland. They really didn't want to lose Oakland as a city. So I can absolutely see that. More than St. Louis? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Because you've got so many big corporations in the Bay Area. And right now, Santa Clara is 45 minutes away. But you can go into San Francisco in that 7 by 7 mile city, and there are so many huge corporations to draw from. There's so much cash there. That's what the NFL is looking at, is those sorts of partnerships. And for an NFL team, if you if you plopped an NFL team in St. Louis and an NFL team in Oakland, and you built stadiums for both, the Oakland team is going to make a whole lot more money. And that's what this is all about. It's not about fan appetite. It's not about getting people into the stadiums to have a great experience. It's about what is going to make them money. That's all this is about. And I wonder what sort of foresight the NFL has, because there's so many stories about how so many people are moving out of California and moving into Austin, Texas, where you can't even get around now because there's so much traffic. And the other one is Boise. Would they have the guts to go to Boise, Idaho? If I'm the NFL, I'm saying forget Boise. What can I do to tap into the SEC? What market in the South that is already football is life down there that is already ripe with the type of fans that I know are going to spend money on a product, especially if it's their team? How can I tap into the SEC? That's what I'm doing. But what we've seen, though, with the Jaguars is people are still they're tied to Florida. If you go to Birmingham in the fall, it's going to be about Alabama and Auburn. If you go to... What's another? Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. T- the Tennessee people are in on their team. Not that they aren't in on the Nashville or the Tennessee Titans, but SEC people, are they're SEC people. True, but I would at least try to explore that before I went somewhere like Salt Lake City or Boise. Okay, that's understandable. I, I, I get that. And Boise might be a 10-year play because that's growing. So, and I know a lot of people have weighed in on this via the text line, 65780. If you'd like to, feel free to do so. And I, I want to start with this. I, I don't want to get any false hopes up here because 
again, the latest I've heard is that the NFL, in their communications with St. Louis, has not even talked about an NFL franchise. Although I have read that there's a consulting company that's making cold calls to people about their interest in an NFL franchise. In St. Louis. Yeah. Daniel Wallach has uh, reported that there are that there's a consulting company that actually did work here before the Rams left in 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. and they're making phone calls again now. But I haven't received one of those phone calls and talked or talked to anybody that got one. I would love to know what that's all about. And I would love I would to too. know what the, some of the responses that they're getting from these cold calls. I would like to know that, too. Here's a text, Randy, from the 636. I think 40 is way too many. You already have a ton of teams in the league that aren't even competitive at all when you you distribute the talent across another eight more teams. That just sounds like a bad product on the field. Again, I don't know that there will be a a huge drop-off. I was really entertained by the XFL. That's the players that would be playing. The XFL competitive level was good. The players aren't as good. So I get where you're coming from. But the league is already legislated high-quality play out anyway. It's not going to be what it was when we had the Rams here in the greatest show on turf. Right. The quality of the product is already watered down. But don't you think the league should be a little concerned about that? Because you're trying to hook an entire new fan base. Doesn't matter. It hasn't mattered. You're right. It hasn't mattered. It absolutely has not mattered. They're still the king. Yeah. It's true. From the 618, the English won't choose the NFL over the EPL on a weekly basis, and there's definitely not enough for two teams there. That's the case with L.A., but again, you go to the ego of the NFL. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but the NFL thought that they could make two teams work in L.A. and still think that they can make two teams work in L.A., and it's pretty clear that they desperately want Europe. When they're playing half a dozen games a year, overseas in Europe, or at least four games a year. That tells you that they really do want to be there. I think that London is a stupid idea for pro sports because you can't play a primetime game. If one of your London teams would wind up being really, really good, if it starts at 7.20 on a Sunday night in the United States, that's 1.20 in the morning in London. It's not going to work. No. Also, if you're a free agent, do you really want to move your family to London? No. No. And... Here's the worst part about it. If you are a great team, if somehow you build a great team in London, nobody will be up to watch the Super Bowl in London, right? Because it starts at 6 o'clock St. Louis time. That's midnight London time. So when I lived in Italy, when I was in college, when I was studying abroad, it was the year that the Bears were in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. What was that, 2007 maybe? Yeah. And we had to pay a bar to open up in the middle of the night because I went to Illinois, all of the people in the program were from Chicago and they had to figure Mm -hmm. out a way. And we literally had to pay off the bar to do it. And what time at night are you? Oh my gosh, it was, was, yeah. It was the start, right? It was in the middle of the night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And no one there cared. They couldn't have cared less about the Super Bowl. And granted, we were in a smaller town in Northern Italy, but still, um, it's going to be difficult for people to adjust and get involved when the, the time change is so yeah. different. And it, would the NFL move their Super Bowl back to one in the afternoon central time? No. 
Of course not. No. You have to cater to your American markets. In prime time. And you own that day. It's an entire buildup of people coming over, the food, you settle in to watch right. the game. It's a holiday. Yeah. So why would you want to disrupt what you have the one day of the year that you actually own? It is the national, not the international football league. For sure. From the 636, I do not understand the excitement around possibly getting another team in St. Louis. The NFL can take a long walk off a short pier. And there's a lot of people in St. Louis that feel that way. For our business, we, we, we talk about sports. If we have a local team to talk about, that's a good thing. Yes. But I don't hear any buzz. And one thing that I need to point out, Michelle, is that when the football Cardinals left after the 87 season, even from 88, when I would talk to people in leadership positions, people wanted a team back. Almost immediately, Jerry Clinton started working to get the stadium built and the people in Civic Progress wanted a team back, and uh, ultimately Fans, Inc. was built by several government entities, and y- y- people were talking about it all the time. Let's get a team. Let's get an expansion team. Let's get uh, the Rams. Let's get the Patriots. The Patriots were basically going to be here mm-hmm. in 1993. I thought they were going to Hartford. That, that one, too. <laughs> I'm not hearing any of that. Well, the circumstances in which each team left were completely different, right, too. Right. This one was a lot more personal. And, yeah, and there was a lot of distrust. At least Bidwill and the league were pretty open about it when the football Cardinals left. And a lot of people who actually do care about trust were lied to in that endeavor. And if I heard buzz about it from people, I would tell you. Yeah, you would. But I'm not, I'm not hearing any buzz for another team. But I wonder, because there's certainly buzz amongst the sports fans yeah, in St. Are, Louis about is, this. Yeah. The fans were great football fans, yeah. and they want a team, and they deserve a team. And I wonder if the buzz from the fans will perhaps influence the way that leaders or decision makers from a financial standpoint may think about this. If they think that there is going to be an opportunity to enrich the city and enrich themselves, I wonder if they might be a little bit more amenable to a team if that option is presented. And maybe... It's those people that are hiring the consulting firm. Maybe. Which, if I was somebody in St. Louis that knew that I might have to make a deal with them, make a deal with the devil, because they have been the devil to St. Louis, I would want to make really sure that I knew people were going to show up. And that's a risk that you take, because even people that right now are texting in saying, we're in NFL City, I want the NFL back in St. Louis. Are you going to buy PSLs? Are you... Watching the games and actually showing up are two totally different things. And I just, I don't know, Randy, St. Louis Cardinal baseball is everything to this city. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of empty seats at Bush Stadium before the Cardinals went on a, a historic win streak. And so I'm just wondering if the consumption habits of the sports fan in general have changed after the pandemic. And if if that's something that you as a franchise can count on anymore is regardless of circumstance, you being enough for people to want to pay the money to go to a game, especially if you're housing yeah, what, a league that has burned the city. Yeah, what What is the appetite for that? A couple of quick things. We, we get multiple texts about uh, uh, just the last, last one we got. Uh, a team can bring more money to the area over politicians and leaders to waste the money. The plaintiffs in this case right now are the city of St. Louis, represented by Mayor Tashara Jones, the county of St. Louis, represented by Sam Page, and the RSA, represented by Kitty Ratcliffe. Those are the plaintiffs in the case. So they're the ones that can make a decision with what the NFL offers. 
ultimately. And if the plaintiffs decide on the money, the representatives of the city ultimately will determine what happens with the money. I've been told that the plaintiffs have been told, don't even think about the money because you aren't getting any for two years. So don't even, we, we haven't won. So don't we think about the money. So that's one part of what has been told to me. And the other one is, is we, we get one that says, uh, you don't remember people wanting the Jaguars or the Raiders or the Chargers? I'm talking about the people in leadership roles in St. Louis. I'm talking about mayors and county executives and CEOs of companies. The Civic Progress people were all over bringing a franchise here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm here talking about with the buzz is the buzz among the people that could bring an NFL team to St. Louis. I'm not hearing those people talking about bringing a team to St. Louis with the fervor that I heard about in the early 90s. And by the way, we could have kept the Cardinals, but we didn't. We And so Civic Progress got on board, lost the Cardinals, and they wound up being behind getting another franchise here. I'm not hearing that. That's the people that I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. the people that could bring a franchise to St. Louis aren't buzzing about bringing a franchise to St. Louis. And that's an important component. It is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Gabe Kapler, an avowed analytics guy, wins manager of the year. Is that a good thing for baseball, that analytics are driving the bus? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The primary thing has to be the way analytics, which may be good for gaining a competitive edge, have been terrible for baseball as an entertainment product. And so they've got to take some significant steps. I favor a pitch clock with nobody on base. You want to talk about your VHS tapes? During the time that there was no game, there were no games in 2020 at the Major League Baseball Network, we went back into the archives and showed some classic games. They didn't have to be World Series games. Some of them were just memorable, regular season games. And one of the things I was struck by was that if you count the first pitch, so the clock is at zero, there were often three pitches delivered within a 20-second span. That's our friend Bob Costas. He joined us on opening day of the 2021 season. We talked about analytics And, Michelle, while it is good for the finances of the game because owners can put a price on a player, and while there are things like war that work to the benefit of teams to make it easier to evaluate players, at the end of the day, I'm with Bob that analytics are terrible for the product of baseball. The fact that we have the three true outcomes, homer, strikeout, or walk, is to me brutal. And... Just the fact that a walk has become such a desirable commodity. Who wants... Text in 65780 if you like watching walks. If you like watching walks in baseball, text in 65780. I want to know who these people are. Because that's why people think Mike Trout is better than Albert Pujols was in his prime. Because he walks more. And while it's great to not make an out, if you want to be entertained... Then you want people swinging the bat, you want people getting hits, you want people running, you want people making defensive plays. To me, that's where the entertainment of baseball comes in. It's not with striking out, it's not with walking, and actually I'd prefer a stolen base to a home run. 
Think about the water cooler conversation. Are you getting up in the morning, going to work, standing around the water cooler saying, can you believe that walk that Mike oh, Trout man. threw in the, in the sixth awesome? inning? What interesting pitch selection there. No, we want entertainment. Sports is entertainment. And Randy, baseball used to be America's pastime because it was for everyone. And the brilliant 1% has corrupted the sport. When you have Harvard-educated, Ivy League, brilliant people running baseball, that excludes the average fan. Baseball has become elitist in a way. And it excludes the players, Michelle, because yeah. it's it's really interesting to hear from analytics people and hear them talk about how wins don't matter. But 100%, I mean 100% of the pitchers that I've ever talked to, the people that are playing Major League Baseball, 100% say that wins do matter Correct. to them. And if you have to have, over the span of multiple years, different voices that you have to hire and bring into your organization to translate the curriculum that you're trying to educate your players to absorb, that you are taking an approach that is clearly above the average baseball player. And I don't know, Randy, I don't know about you. When I go to the movies, I don't want to do math. When I turn on sports, which is also a form of entertainment, I don't want to do math. I don't want to have to think about math in that way. I want to be able to sit down, relax, have a hot dog and a beer and be entertained. And when analytics have infiltrated baseball in the manner in which they have, it has made the game boring. I'm not observing the game and saying, wow, because of the probability or the exit velo of this or that, I'm really impressed. No, I want to see you hit a home run. I want to see an exciting defensive play. I want to see you do something physically that I cannot do, that I'll never be able to do. I want to see someone come in in a highly pressurized moment and do something sensational. The reason we love sports is very remedial. We can strip it all the way down. It's because we want to support our city, because it connects a lot of people, and because we like to see greatness. Not because we like to compute numbers and look at what a great baseball deal it was to bring in player X at a certain price. All right. We get this from the 314. I like walks. I'm a big on base guy, putting pressure on the pitcher, control, etc. I'm telling you, again, we'll go back to pitchers and we'll say, what puts more pressure on you? A person threatening to steal a base or a person that is standing at the plate. And one of the reasons that there are so many walks is because the strike zone is so small and it's much easier to take walks than it's ever been. But I appreciate that you're a big on base guy and you like watching walks. Now from the 314, a rebuttal. Anyone who says they like walks is a damned liar. <laughs> I agree. And from the 314, I love a good moonwalk because I can't do it. But that's a different kind of walk than what we're talking about here. Yeah, if you can moonwalk, I'm impressed for sure. But I think John Mozalek is kind of a great example of this, right? John Mozalek is a very cerebral guy. He takes a very even and analytical approach to the game. And what does the average Cardinal fan think about John Mozalek? Even despite the success that he's had, they say he's arrogant. They say that he, that he has taken away the fun of the game, that he doesn't go for it, even though clearly the Cardinals are going for it in the way that baseball is going for it in a lot of ways now. But fans don't like to feel like the person in charge is condescending to yeah. them or they're talking down to them or patronizing them in some way. And that's what these front office guys who come from these Ivy League schools and have implemented all these numbers that are frankly not at the disposal or the fans don't want them to be at their disposal because they just want to be entertained aren't privy to and it has taken away part of the enjoyment from the game that the average fan had before that being said and it was before 
the Giants won 107 games and went to the playoffs this year. Farhan Zaidi, Gabe Kapler, two big analytics guys. Dodgers with Andrew Friedman at the helm, 106 games. They go to the World Series pretty often. The Tampa Bay Rays keep winning with analytics without having to really pay anybody. The analytics aren't going anywhere. Even though the two World Series managers were both old school guys, not analytics guys, both Brian Snicker and Dusty Baker are old school. And even though two years ago, the Washington Nationals, old school as you get, they won the World Series because the cost of hiring scouts and because the cost of playing that style of game is higher, analytics aren't going anywhere. But I hope that baseball can find a way to have analytics but make them entertaining too because I'm like you. I don't want to see a three-and-a-half-hour game where you have a dozen walks on each side. I don't want to see uh, 200 pitches thrown by each team. I don't want to see a 450-pitch game. It's just not entertaining to me, and that's all a product of analytics. A product of analytics coupled with the fact that we are a short attention span yeah. society. Think about it. TikTok is very popular because it's small snippets of entertainment that you can scroll through quickly. People don't want to settle in for things anymore. They want to be entertained immediately, and that is not what baseball is anymore. So here's what we here's your homework for the next 24 hours because we've got Bob Costas Gonna, he's going to tell us tomorrow what he would do to change the game. We'll tell you what we would do to change the game. But we need to know from you. Mike drops tomorrow, and it'll be a big part of the day. Actually, why don't we spend the day talking about what we would do to make baseball better? Because I want Dan's opinion on this, too, as someone that's obviously Definitely. been involved in the game for a really long time. I know he has a very valuable opinion on this. By the way, can you give the stat that I gave you about Dan, Danny Mack is off today. I was going to tell him this stat, but it's I can give it if you want me to give yeah, it. Yeah, you give it. Okay. You, you did the speaking of math. You did the math, Randy. Okay. You you crunched the numbers and did the analytics on this. This is with all due respect to everybody involved. Okay, uh, this is Bally. Bally Sports televises Blues games. Danny Mac did the pregame for the first nine games of the season. Pregame intermissions, postgame with Bernie Federico. In those nine games, the Blues were seven, one, and one. While Scott Warman was on the shelf, Scott Warman has returned. And since Scotty has returned, the Blues have gone one, four, and one. So what you're telling me is Danny Mac's a good luck charm. That's what I'm telling you. So Cardinals won their division, didn't they, with Danny Mac making the, or at least got to the playoffs, had a 17-game winning streak with Danny on the call? So we need Dan to be on the call for all Cardinals postseason games. Yes, we do. Fox, are you Somehow. listening? Get Somehow. Somehow. Make it happen. Yeah. So seven, one, and one, one, four, and one. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over with BK and Ferrario next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario are too busy to come in and cross things over to promote their show. So that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk sports with you. 65780 is their comfort service text line. Michelle, a couple of things. I wanted to get this text in there from the 314. I was watching the 1952 World Series, and that game goes so much faster. Pitchers just pitch. They don't conduct a full meta-analysis of each pitch. And Danny Mac makes a great point, and I, I hadn't thought about this until this season, but one of the reasons that pitchers take 40 seconds to pitch is because at max effort, throwing 100 miles an hour, they need to recharge their batteries. They need to literally get back to a physical point where they can do it again. Whereas 
when you watch Tom Glavin and John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and Bob Tewksbury and before that Bob Gibson and Steve Carlton, they were throwing with command but weren't going max effort every pitch. Mm-hmm. And so they can get the, the ball back in their glove and get the sign and throw again and again and again and do it every 15 seconds. It's not as easy to do physically when you're maxing out your effort on every single pitch, which is another problem, which goes back to youth baseball now. Because one thing about analytics and video and what players have access to is that at very young ages, they're max efforting out and that's what sells is velocity sells. I, I've asked so many people uh, in, in baseball and um, talked to Izzy and Andy Van Slyke about it this summer. I said, if Greg Maddox were available in the draft now, would he be drafted? No chance. Which is insane. Yeah. And I love how so many people talk about Adam Wainwright and they say to young pitchers, you need to watch him. This is mm-hmm. what you should try to emulate when you know that no one is going to try to emulate what Adam Wainwright does anymore. No one's even going to be allowed to stay in the game that long. No. And from a team standpoint, let's just use Jordan Hicks as an example. Jordan Hicks comes up, gives you a couple of years of 105, blows out his arm. Fine. We'll bring on the next guy. We've got another 100. We've got Ryan Helsley down in the minors coming up to throw 100 miles an hour for us. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next 100-mile-an-hour guy because those guys are being produced right and left at youth baseball camps. So from an owner's standpoint, you've always got 100-mile-an-hour pitchers and you never have to pay them. When do you think is the last time that baseball captivated the entire country? Was it the home run chase? When it was the number one thing, when you could say everyone is watching baseball right now, and not the World Series, I just mean as a yeah. sport as a whole. Is it the home oh, run chase? During the regular season, yes. And think think about what that was. It was drama, it was excitement, it was power. And yes, of course, people are going to talk about steroids, but think about how long it's been since baseball has well, been something that can captivate the entire nation. And think about the fact that McGuire and Sosa did and Barry Bonds didn't. The fact that you had Bonds hitting 73 home runs in a season and passing Babe Ruth's and Hank Aaron's all-time records, and that wasn't captivating to the masses at all. It was huge in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but really wasn't a big deal for the average sports fan. But I just think that the the average sports fan, as you just described them as, is less interested in baseball now than ever. I, especially, Randy, when I was up at ESPN, because I used to fight with people all the time. Why aren't we talking more mm. baseball? We need to work in more baseball. And they're like, people do not care. And I'm like, yes, they do. I know I'm coming from a baseball hotbed, but people care. And they would show me the numbers. Nationally, if you talk about baseball, people are not interested. They care in the markets that have teams, especially legacy teams like St. Louis. But nationally, people are not tuned into a baseball game the way that they are an NFL or an NBA game. People just don't have the time. They're not going to sit around for for three and a half, four hours if they if they aren't guaranteed some action. So we know this. We, we've spent 20 minutes talking about this. I wonder if baseball recognizes this. I wonder if Rob Manfred and Tony Clark and all the people running front offices recognize the issues that face their sport. I do not think that they do because everything is trending more analytics heavy. If they were concerned about not enough action in the game or that analytics has phased out the average sports fan, I don't think that they would be doubling and tripling down on it like they are. And TV ratings this year for the postseason, the the worst World Series ratings ever again. So we're, we're talking to a St. Louis audience, and we all love baseball. We love it. But on a national level, it's not even close to what the NFL or the NBA are. 
and it's actually closer to the NHL. And it's become a regional sport. I get that. It's a regional sport now. But they need to do a better job because they are, at the end of the day, in, their, in the entertainment business, they need to do a better job of entertaining people. But how do they do that? How We've been talking about this for so long. What are the little things that baseball can do to make the game more entertaining? And I don't think that's even part of the – yes, it's part of the discussion, but are front offices going to shift no. the way they're evaluating players or their – philosophical approaches to the game because they want to entertain fans more? No, they want to win and they want to win at cost. We talked about the the disposable nature of players. Here's Damian with a mic drop on 101 ESPN. One thing I absolutely hate about Major League Baseball today is the fact that they have so much control over the players until a certain point, especially considering that they can bury them in the minor leagues and bring them up whenever they feel like to quote-unquote start their clock. And I think it's absolutely disgusting the way that they essentially own the best years of guys' lives and the formative years of guys' lives in order just to say, hey, look at our prospects. I was playing golf with a major league player a few weeks ago, and we were talking about how the you can go to college, get drafted at 22. So your first major league year, the summer, is 22. Major League Baseball owns your rights in the minors for six years mm-hmm. before you become a minor league free agent. So they can keep you for six years in the minors, bring you up in September of that sixth year. Then you get to the majors, and they've got you for another six years. So the first time that you would have freedom is when you're 34 years oh. old as an athlete. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I know you can make a lot of money, but... There is, for the first 12 years of your career, you can't choose where, if the if the team wants it that way, you can't choose where you get to play. And the amount of time it takes to develop a prospect or to get fans excited about it. Think about the NFL. You see a player play in college, you watch them on draft night, and then boom, normally your first round draft picks are right there in the pros. And I know it's completely different with the, the physical development and getting up to speed for each player and sports are different, but I'm talking purely from an entertainment standpoint. The excitement of the draft is that you know if you're watching the NFL and you're a Seahawks fan that whoever they draft in the first round, you're going to get to watch him as yep. soon as the season starts. If I'm a major league player or a minor league player, and by the way, that's another problem that baseball has, is that the major leagues, major league players association doesn't want minor leaguers in their organization. But if I'm going into the CBA negotiation, I'm going to say, hey, you've cut down on the number of minor league teams and players because you say you can evaluate players better now than you ever have. So why do you need more than three years to evaluate me? In three years, you should determine whether or not I can play for you. And after three years, if you don't want me, then I should be allowed to walk. And then at the major league level, it's ridiculous that you can keep me around for six years the free agency in every other sport is four. So let's go three years as a minor leaguer and then four. So it's a maximum of seven years that a team has absolute control over a player. It's almost like the whole construct from development to pay structure just needs to be burned down yeah, and rebuilt. Started over. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're exactly right. Coming up next, BK and Ferrario. Danny Mac is out today. He'll join us tomorrow morning at 7. Great job by our producer engineer, Andrew Marsh, who's always very creative and fun. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Randy. <laughs> and, uh, Michelle, this was great. It was. We we ended on a very fiery note. I'm fired yeah, up right yeah, now. Me too. See I you am. tomorrow, Randy. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.